Hi, this is Steve. Movies have always had a huge influence on me, and there are few films more formative than John Hughes's 1985 film, The Breakfast Club. For a smart, geeky kid with poor social skills and a deep sense of social disconnection, I can't begin to tell you how profound it was to see people on the screen struggling with the same things I was struggling with. It moved me so much, in fact, that a few days later I dragged my parents to the movie in the hopes that somehow it would help them understand me. 33 years later, the film still has a powerful effect on me. Yes, the world has changed a great deal since then, and some of the things that happened in The Breakfast Club seem very different when viewed through 2018 eyes. But the core of the film remains the same. The idea that it's still possible to learn, share, and even empathize with people who are very different from us, and that that experience of sharing our true selves can make us stronger and hopefully more compassionate in the future. So whether you're still a teenager or a parent of teenagers, if you haven't seen The Breakfast Club, my recommendation is that you take a trip to cinephiles.net where you can find this week's movie along with every other film we've ever reviewed. So this Friday, The Cinephiles goes back to high school to spend a day in detention with The Breakfast Club. All right, people, we're going to try something a little different today. We are going to write an essay. Describing to me who you think you are. This is this a test? Is that clear, Mr. Bender? Crystal. Good. Maybe you'll learn a little something about yourself. Maybe you'll even decide whether or not you care to return. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, its history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. What's up, everybody? It's John Roca. I'm giving you my 80s. Cowabunga. <laughs> gag me with a spoon. All that stuff to say. Poser. Hoser head. Butt face. Butt head. Uh, yeah, it's uh, John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, host, writer, and producer. Uh, on a number of shows, um, and uh, I couldn't be more excited that we finally got around to talking about this movie because I had no idea it's one of your favorites, and it I is. just bought it on Criterion, so I was going through everything on it and was just thoroughly enjoying it, revisiting it. I think for our generation, yeah, this is a seminal movie. Absolutely, you know, I think like like the, maybe the graduate is for the generation before. Mm. Like this is a moment for 80s generation x growing up yeah um and of course the movie we're talking about is the breakfast club yeah um do you remember how you first came to the breakfast club yeah i can't i went saw in the theaters uh i i had missed 16 candles i remember 16 candles being a big deal and i just had missed it and so uh everyone was talking about oh breakfast club. so i went with a bunch of friends uh probably maurice uh to see it in the theaters uh and uh enjoyed it a lot and went back a couple more times to see it um, because there was just something about it that you felt a connection to because you were that age. Do you know what I'm saying? You, 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 oh, yeah. You were in that place. You're like, oh, no, I, who do I identify with? You know, who do I feel? And it's so funny because watching it now, I find more to um, sympathize with and understand in um, the villain, this quote-unquote villain character that is uh, the teacher that uh, is on top of him. Yeah. Paul Gleason, yeah. Mr. I find Burnett. more to gravitate to in Paul, Paul Gleason's thing. And there's more. <laughs> there's shots that John Hughes puts in the movie that I had forgot about, 
that give you a little window into Paul Gleason's quiet desperation. Yeah. And I love that. I had no idea that color <laughs> was in that movie, going back to that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, so. fu- it's funny. One of the questions I was going to ask you, yeah. which I'm sure we'll talk about more, is who do you identify in The Breakfast Club? Apparently, it's uh, Mr. Vernon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, kind of. Um, because I'm older now, yeah. So, so for me, this was a big deal when it came out in the mm-hmm. theater. I saw it in the theater at Larkspur at the Cinema One, and um, it was so moving to me. And of course, I cried and saw myself in it, and right. and that I immediately went home and told my parents, "You have to come see this movie so you can understand me." <laughs> and I took my parents, like maybe a couple of days later, maybe my sister came too. I'm not sure. Yeah, and it said, "You have to watch this." And at the end of the movie, I'm like going, "See, now do you understand who I am?" <laughs> like it was so important to me to show them this film. And of course, it was one along with all the other John Hughes movies that I watched over and over and over again yeah. as a kid. I mean, I, in, in high school and college, I watched it a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. There's and certain films that identify you, right? You just absolutely. feel like they speak your language. This is a, this is a really, really big one mm-hmm. to me. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about pre-production. First of all, uh, this is our second John Hughes movie. We talked about right. John Hughes with Planes, Trains, and Automobiles yes. and gave some biographical material on him then. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in a little more biography, maybe celebrate Thanksgiving with your family and watch watch and listen to our Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Absolutely. Um, so um, this movie, he, so he had done, he had written screenplays for Mr. Mom and, mm-hmm. and Vacation, and, th- and this movie was supposed to be his directorial debut, which is why he made such a simple film. So the first script he oh. wrote for himself to direct, it's one location, it's, it's very much like a play, so right. it doesn't have a lot of filmmaking challenges. And then as he's sort of collecting some headshots yeah. to cast Breakfast Club, he sees this headshot of Molly Ringwald. Has never met her. Wow. And he says, there's something about this girl. And he goes home, puts the headshot above his desk, and in a weekend writes 16 Candles. In a weekend? Yeah, this is John Hughes over and over again. He, right. he would write his whole screenplay in like a weekend. Jesus. Yeah, he's one of those irritating people. <laughs> and so then suddenly 16 Candles gets made before right. the breakfast. So of course, he hadn't even met Molly Ringwald. So they set up a meeting with him, and they get along great. And there's 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 a... You know, they really talk about that she was his muse yeah. for a certain part of his career. Mm-hmm. He makes 16 Candles. And, and here's the interesting thing that I learned that relates a lot to The Breakfast Club is that at the time of 16 Candles, and this is, you know, 84 um, or 83, 84, is um, the basic teen movie model comes from Animal House, Caddyshack, and Porky's. Mm. And so when you watch 16 Candles, which is a really problematic movie at yeah, this point, yeah, it is. is that you can see that that's what the studio wanted. That's why the, there's the nudity and the sexual element and the sort of boy stuff in yeah. 16 Candles, along with a fairly sensitive movie about a 16-year-old girl. Yeah. And so when they go to make Breakfast Club, so, so they shoot 16 Candles in the summer, I think, of 84, okay. and they're making and it wraps like in august they're shooting breakfast club in february of 85 which wow. is crazy how yeah. fast that is and there's hu- and the first script is is very much like a play and very much about these kids and their emotions mm-hmm. and that's what gets the actors all to sign up right and then there's all this pressure from the studio no we need more sex we need more partying <laughs> we need more of that of course porky's stuff so that by the time the actors come in to uh to their first rehearsal they go, what happened to that script we really liked? Right. Um, and let's talk about these actors. So obviously, Molly Ringwald is really important. John Hughes and the studio wanted her to play Allison, the Ali Sheedy part. Wow. Yeah. And she refused. Yeah. It sounds like Molly Ringwald is a strong personality for a 15-year-old girl right. at the time. She wanted to play Claire. 
And so while this debate is going on, because the studio didn't want them, the first person that actually gets cast is Anthony Michael Hall, who's in uh, 16 Candles, of course. Right. Man, he's funny in 16 Candles, and he is great in this. There's a stretch in his career where it's just like, it's incredible. Weird Science, 16 Candles, uh, and this movie, The Breakfast Mm -hmm. Club. Just great stuff. And it's when he slides into the late 80s, early 90s, that everything just kind of slips away from him. And then, but he does pop up in stuff, you know, like sure. the, the Dead Zone TV series. Dark Knight. Really good in that. Dark Knight as well. Yeah, things of that nature. So I'm never not, I never not enjoy Anthony Michael Hall. It's just like this was, this is where you wanted him to stay forever. He was well, so good in this. He, I think he had to become a different person. I mean, yeah. he just is a really different person. Yeah. I mean, there's even that moment with him where he's on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, that's right. For a year with Robert Downey Jr. For God's sake, that's the weird, bizarre season of Saturday Night Live. Yeah, and Randy Quaid. Um, Right. So he gets cast, and then finally they say, "Okay, we will cast Molly Ringwald as Claire." Mm -hmm. So now they go out to look for Allison, um, and that's how they find Ali Sheedy, who who had just come off of War Games, Mm -hmm. which uh, I haven't seen forever, and Bad Boys. Oh, and Bad Boys with with Sean Penn. Penn. Yeah, that's right. Morales. Yeah. Yeah, and so and she looked at this and said, "Oh, I am Allison." Like that was for her. This was just. Wow, the perfect and and man, her performance in that role is amazing. So great. And uh, the next person they have cast is Emilio Estevez, mm-hmm. cast in the role of John Bender. Oh, really? Yeah, they cast him as Bender oh. first. Um, it's a safe Bender. Yeah, it could work, but it's a safe Bender. And and but then they're having so much trouble finding someone to play Andy that they ask him to switch over and play Andy. And now they're still looking for a Bender. And one of the first people they're looking at is Nicolas Cage. Oh man, yeah. Probably around Valley Girl time, right? I would imagine. Right around the same era. Yeah. And like, man, that would have been a different movie. Yeah, completely different. But Nicolas Cage is certainly a lot of a lot. Yeah. But they don't cast Nicolas Cage. Instead, they cast John Cusack. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Had he changed a lot since 16 Candles? That's what I wonder. He's a nerdy guy with the braces and and everything. He's so young. He's so Candles. Yeah. And this is only a few months later. So how much could he have changed? And, And they actually cast him. They start rehearsal with him, and John Hughes goes, he is not dangerous enough. Nope. And that's when they bring in Judd Nelson. Right. And apparently Judd Nelson came into the auditions dressed as Bender. Of course. He stayed in character all the time, to the point where he was continually abusing Molly Ringwald between takes, and John Hughes wanted to fire him. And apparently the cast all united and said, no, you can't fire him. Including Molly. Including Molly. Wow. That's that's my understanding of what happened. Okay. So so the cast shows up and they're expecting this script that they all really loved, and they get this script that has all this nudity and all this sex and all this other stuff. And they're like, what happened? <laughs> and Molly Ringwald in particular said, This isn't the movie that I signed up to do. Right. And he and John Hughes kind of goes, Well, what's what's the problem? And she says, Well, it's all this other character stuff I like. Right. And the next day, John Hughes shows up with a stack of scripts. He brings in every other draft of the movie. Wow. And he and the cast sit down and they just start reading scripts. And all the members of the cast are pulling out. It's like, well, what about this scene? Or what about this scene? Right. And they start improvising together. And it sounds like like an amazing collaborative process yeah. to build this project. I Rent was like this. If anybody remembers the musical Rent, mm, yeah. Jonathan Larson did this as well. Like he would he would bring in stuff, different versions of the script. People would grab it, people would add stuff of the original cast, people would create stuff, songs, whatever. So it was all yeah, a collaborative effort sometimes can be the most uh pure way of creating a film. Well, I think particularly for this kind of a story. Yeah, yeah, agree. Is that is that you don't really need a collaborative effort to make Raiders of the Lost Ark right. die hard. I mean, right. although there might be some improv in those things. Sure. But when you're trying to get into what is the truth of teenagers, mm-hmm. you know, and you're a 40, 35, 40 year old man, yeah. this really helps. Yeah. And Hughes said, um, 
Yeah, and Hugh said that, that the, or Molly said that he was so open to hearing that and that Hughes was working something out in these films yeah. in, from his high school that he was still kind of rummaging through. And, you know, Molly's really honest about, like, I don't, my, I barely remember high school. And right. it must be incredible to have that I barely remember high school because most of us are haunted by that time because yeah. that's our formative, in essence, our formative years from young adulthood into, I mean, from a young, I guess, early teenager into young adulthood. And right. so a lot of us are are, are scarred or, or carry the memories of that for a while, you know? So obviously he was working a lot of stuff out in the movies. What, what's interesting, I think John Hughes is really unique in, because I think you're right, and we all do carry that around. Yeah. But most people lose their empathy for high school kids right. when they become grownups. Right. Because they're dealing with grown-up problems. And grown-up problems look so big yeah. compared to what you see a high school person go through. Right. And, and so they lack the ability to go like, oh, no, that was huge mm -hmm. and painful. And John Hughes somehow managed to maintain that. Right. You know, because you see it in so many of his movies that he gets it. Yeah. it. To the point where he even like, I mean, there's a language of the way teenagers speak that yeah. is invented by John Hughes yeah. in this movie that becomes in a lot of ways how we spoke. <laughs> you know, that's how influential it was. Yeah. Um, would you like to get into this film? Let's do this. John. Yes. Don't you forget about me. <laughs> Don't. Oh. Don't. <laughs> There's a lot here. <laughs> uh, simple Minds, they were not simple in any way, shape, or form. But like, this is... What's fascinating about this beginning, Steve, what I'd forgotten about, is the speech is read at the beginning. Right. I totally forgot about that. Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. And what we did was wrong. We think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. What do you care? It's so fascinating because we're in 2018 and Steve and I are of the age who remembers those, can remember those cars that drive up, the clothes. Mm -hmm. the, I remember that Chicago Bears like pullover sure. ski cap that uh, What's-His-Face is wearing, Anthony Michael Hall is wearing. So all of it is there. And of course, it's the introduction. And it's almost going back to old... Um, stock characters, the idea of stock characters, right? As each one pulls up and is introduced, they are who they are through the interaction with their parents or non-interaction with their parents. And that's f f really fun to, to explore again. Well, and I think that structurally, this movie is very clear in what it's trying to do, which is mm -hmm. that it introduces you, as you say, with these cars pulling up mm -hmm. to these stereotypes. Yeah. You immediately go like, oh, that's the jock. That's where this guy comes from. This right. is the princess. She comes she comes out of the BMW. Mm -hmm. You have Bender, the guy who walks up, no parents, and right. in his clothes are so clear about who he is, mm -hmm. walks right in front of a car that has to jump to a stop. You're like, oh, I get that. Yeah. You have, uh, and then you have uh, Anthony Michael Hall, you know, and his parents saying, don't waste this time. You know, this yeah. is, you know, and you're like, okay, I get who this guy is. Right. Ali Sheedy gets out of her car, tries to say goodbye, and the parents drive away yeah. without her saying goodbye. And you're like, I get it. Yeah, like because and then what the movie is, of course, going to do is it's going to break down these stereotypes mm -hmm. and they're going to become real people, not just to us, the audience, mm -hmm. but to each other. And they're going to, you know, like so. So it's very structurally clear what we're going to do to me, brother, to be honest with you, what struck me this time, it's almost like a heist film. Five people, <laughs> five people are brought together who don't know each other and they have to work together yeah. to solve this problem, which is the essay. Right. And so. 
everything else that occurs has to occur for them to be able to write that essay at the end. And the fact that he, that he reads the essay at the beginning of the movie lets you know that um, that this there's more coming here than just right. You know these people at detention. Well, and of course, when you hear it at the beginning, you don't really know no. what it means. You right. don't know who this voice is. Mm-hmm. We see this David Bowie quote from Changes. Yeah, you know, which is and these children that you spit on as they try to change their world are immune to your consultations. They're quite aware what they're going through, mm-hmm. and that really sets the tone for the film in a lot of ways. Yeah. And uh, apparently, that's Ali Sheedy's idea. Oh, wow. That's her quote. She was listening to Bowie at the time, and she played it for John Hughes. Apparently, the whole... John Hughes loved to make mixtapes, and so he was constantly making mixtapes for the cast, and they started making mixtapes for him, and part of the soundtrack came from these guys exchanging mixtapes with with each other. Um, And there's this weird shattering of glass, and we see this high school, and you see shots of the high school with the graffiti and things carved in the walls and the lockers and... Man, that's that gave me flashbacks. Yeah, I don't know course. what your high school looked of like, but this looked a lot like my high school. They weren't all red lockers, but yes, there were red and blue and white lockers. Were uh, that was our thing. Yeah. And by the way, this is shot in Illinois. Mm-hmm. The main set is actually built in the gym of this high school. Oh wow! That's that's what the library set is. What? Yeah. It's a it's built into a gym. Yep. Wow. They laid carpet down and all that stuff. They did. The, well, the high school had the high school had closed down like three years earlier. Oh, so okay. this is like a not used high school, and this is also the high school he shot at for Ferris Bueller's Day Off a couple <laughs> years later. Great. Um, well, uh, I wonder if we'll ever tackle that one. I sure. I'm down anytime. I love that film. Um, uh, I love by the way as we see all these shots of the high school that one of the things you see is the man of the year. Which is Carl, your janitor. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, didn't catch it. I haven't caught it in the 47 times I've seen this movie before. It just didn't occur to me that was Carl. <laughs> it just didn't occur to me. And I was like, this time I was like, oh, man, from man of the year to janitor of the high school. He seems like a pretty cool guy yeah. for a janitor. And I like that his, well, we'll get to his character, but yeah. it's a great balance to Paul Gleason's yeah. character. And we come into the library and everyone sort of sleepily is, is arriving. Mm. Bender's enter- entrance is great. Yeah, I think Judd Nelson, I mean, this is like, you know, we talk about people peaking in high school mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and there's a sad kind of, you know, for some of these people, they peaked in the high school movie. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Judd Nelson's in his mid twenties at this point yeah. and he made this, but man, just from his entrance, the way he, you know, steals a thing and knocks some stuff over and mm-hmm. he's just amazing. Well, the whole thing, right. And we, we, with how it starts, you have, uh, Molly Ringwald sit down first. She, of course, front row. Right. The other person that's in her echelon, right. her level, which is Emilio Estevez, can I sit next? But like a chair separation. Right. And she says, yeah, absolutely. So he sits down. Anthony Michael Hall, wanting to be close to the cool kids, sits right behind them. Right. Judd comes in, intimidates Anthony Michael Hall to the other end. Yep. And then he sits there so he can mess with them. And Ali Sheedy goes all the way back because she doesn't want to be noticed. Right. And so it's just every... there's. Character work being done even in a scene with no dialogue like this, just by the move, physical movements of the characters. There's so much being told. That's such a great. It's such a great point. Where did you sit in class? <sighs> um, as close to the front as possible, but not in the front, and somewhat a little over to the side from the center. I I I. So I started off in the front. Yeah. As a young kid. Yeah. And I had a traumatic fifth grade experience, which was. You know, I was always the kid with the hand up for... for of course you were. Um, well... You're very knowledgeable, Steve. Well, but this is when that changed. Oh. Is because in fifth grade, I had my hand up, 
and Mr. Moscone, who was actually related to Mayor Moscone in San Francisco, who got S- killed. He was man. my teacher when that happened, by the way. Oh my God. Um, he said, put down your hand, Steve. We all know you know the answer. Huh. How and is that traumatic? That should be encouraging. Because that was the moment I realized that nobody liked me. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was the moment I first looked around and had the, oh, nobody likes the smart kid in the class. Uh-huh. And I put down my hand, and I became a kid who sat in the back, back row. Wow. And I didn't raise my hand anymore. Fascinating. Yeah. No, that was a big like thing really? to overcome. Yeah. What an interesting way to interpret that. Well, no, because like it is who you like, who you're built, how you're built, interprets that moment, right? Sure. Of course. Someone else could be like, "Damn right, I know the answer. I'm smarter than everybody in this damn class," and be even more arrogant, more cocky, more knowledgeable, more whatever, more confident. But you took it in a way that was like you felt shamed by it, and you sensed that you sensed. Not that anyone told you, but you sensed that you were hated right. by the class, and so you went to the back. Well, and that's the era where I, like, I had a lot of friends as a little kid, mm-hmm. and then around fourth, fifth grade was when all my friends started to abandon me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, that's when I became a loner and a quiet person. And right, is that because I didn't have really social skills? It took me a long time to kind of figure out right stuff. Interesting, and yeah, no, I became a backseat. I'm to this day a back back row person. Interesting. Yeah, okay. I don't, I don't, I you know, like the the volunteering smartness yeah that's come in my 30s to be like comfortable to just right. you know talk about stuff talk about stuff that way hmm. yeah so so uh uh i think it's really interesting i hadn't thought so much about how, where they all sit yeah um and then in comes mr vernon paul gleason mm-hmm. <laughs> apparently he got this role because of one moment in a previous film yeah which is in trading places of course which is another film that oh, i just God. love such a great film um, the moment where he, as Meeks, um, is in the phone booth and someone walks up to him and he turns and says, fuck off. I anticipate penetration and acquisition at 2100 hours tomorrow. Hold on. Fuck off. <laughs> John Hughes thought that was the funniest asshole moment he had ever seen. And right. that's how Paul Gleason gets cast in this. Wow. And from what everyone said, everyone loved him. They said that he was a real mentor to yeah. a lot of the other actors and that he was just a great guy. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And he, you know, he's one of these and he plays. Three assholes in three movies mm-hmm. that are three of the greatest assholes of all time, which mm-hmm. is Trading Places, Breakfast Club, and Die Hard. Yeah, and not to be outdone, William Atherton, who plays a great asshole right? in Die Hard, is also a great asshole in Ghostbusters. So yep. those kinds of things are are, are listen. Cool. You got to find your niche, hey man. Get um, paid, man. And he immediately is playing dominance games. Yeah, um, you know, like you know, he's insulting them and putting them down, mm-hmm. and and Claire's. First thing that she says is she's not supposed to be here. Yeah. Excuse me, sir. I think there's been a mistake. I know it's detention, but um, I don't think I belong in here. Not with this group. Mm-hmm. It's funny watching it this time because there's so many more little things about yeah. how horrible these people are mm-hmm. in many, many ways. But they're also kids. That's what struck of me course. this time, right? It was... It was <laughs> maybe just stop it was easier to hate them. Uh, it was easier when you were younger to like judge them and hate them and whatever and feel sympathy for the Matthew Michael Hall character. But it's fascinating when she does this stuff. You're just like, oh, you're just stuck in a world that you're that you like you have no way out of, right? And that eventually comes later on in the film how they talk about it. But in that moment, yeah, she's kind of pampered and that goes back to what she did when she was getting out of the car you can't get me out of this daddy like that kind of thing right so she has relied on that 
even though she may hate herself for it, she has relied on it. And this was this is that moment again. Well, it's not just pampered, because of course she is. And right. it's not just that she's trying to manipulate things for her to get her way, which of course she does. Yeah. But she is essentially saying, I shouldn't be in the same room with these kinds of scum. Right. You know, that's what she's she's going, um These guys uh, are beneath me. They're beneath me. Yeah. And that is her attitude for much of the movie. Right. You know? And and, and it's so funny, like I mean, there there are there are it's you know we have five characters three of whom are assholes fairly often yes two of whom, whom really aren't so much well you know right one isn't even supposed to be there so she says so she says but the molly ringwall character in her mind think about how she got into detention right it's going shopping yep which is ridiculous in the middle of school that's how pampered or spoiled she was she thought she could float the flout the rules and be like i'm gonna go but they don't they don't apply to her right you know well and this is you know a word that hadn't been used in this way but now we would call privilege yeah you know this is she is privileged privilege she doesn't think that the same rules apply to her that apply to other people right um and of course it's right when she's being insulting that bender spits straight up in the air and then catches it which is a really gross um (laughs) and b difficult Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure, he must have hit his face quite a few times trying to do that take. Yeah, and as this is going on, Vernon is laying down the rules, which is that there's going they're going to be here for eight hours. Eight hours. That is a long time. Yeah, I don't remember detention being eight hours. No, Saturday detention. No, uh, I wasn't in a lot of detention. Oh well. Um, no talking, no moving, no sleeping, and they have to write a thousand word essay on who they think they are. Maybe you'll learn a little something about yourself. Maybe you'll even. Decide whether or not you care to return. And I love that Brian, Anthony Michael Hall's character, just goes, uh, yeah, you know, I can answer that right now, sir. You know, that'd be no, no for me. Sit down, Johnson. Thank you, sir. Um, and Bender has a question, which yeah. is, does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? <laughs> Why do you think he does that at this moment? I think he's, because of his, what we find out later in his childhood. And there, everybody, I knew people like this in high school. Oh, yeah. yeah they, they, they had to challenge all the time in a self-destructive way to kind of feel some kind of power in their life. And you have that in this moment. What he's doing is trying to state that he is just as good as this guy. This guy's in power. He shouldn't be in power uh, over me. I'm going to insult him in a way to bring him down to my level. Well, and I think it goes it goes further than that too, mm-hmm. which is that I think he he is showing the other students right, of course, that I am not intimidated by him because there is no good, nothing good is going to come out of him saying this. No, he knows, and we see this a lot, is that he will take the punishment, yeah. to prove that he doesn't care. Yeah, he's showing off a little bit, and he's he's trying to be the alpha of the group in that way. And this is the epiphany I had this time. I wonder what happens on this day if Claire doesn't say, I don't belong with these people. Because I think oh. her insults of Bender yeah. early in mm-hmm. the movie are are causal to Bender's horribleness through to her throughout the film. Maybe. And I'm not in any way excusing right. what Bender does. Cause, and particularly looking at today, it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, this right. is awful. But man, are she and Andy terrible to yeah. Bender yep. right at the beginning. And of course, what 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 is the result of him uh, making the Barry Manilow joke? Another week, right? Another week, another day in attention. Next week, and we're going to see this a few more times. Yeah, and I love the don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. <laughs> I mean, that's just brilliant. Yeah, the two fingers up. Yep. And now we're sitting in detention. Yeah, and we're sitting, and we're sitting, and 
Allison starts biting your nails loudly. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just all these moments of them all looking at this strange person in the back row. Yeah. And Brian is the only person who's actually trying to do the assignment. Right. He uh, has a pen, which he's got on his lip, and he's going, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> who? And then he notices everyone is watching him and stops. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the moment where Bender and he start to take their jackets off together, and there's like a, like a stare down. Yeah. And he goes, okay, I won't take my jacket off. <laughs> you know, and I totally know these people and knew these people in high school of – I can't stand the silence. And so Bender goes, Oh, shit. What are we supposed to do if we have to take a piss? Please. You gotta go. You gotta go. And he mimes that he's taking out, you know, that he's gonna pee under the desk. You're not urinating in here, man. Don't talk. Don't talk. It makes it crawl back up. You whip it out and you're dead before the first drop hits the floor. You're pretty sexy when you get angry. (laughs) But Bender's, Bender's... Goal is to upset the establishment. Yep. It's he's almost like a the Joker type character. Like everything has to be chaos for me to yep. find solace or comfort. Like your lives are so perfect and blah 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 compared to mine in in his mind. So everyone's right. operating from stereotypes in this whole film. No well, one is pure. I think that the Joker is that is a great reference because yeah. particularly when you look at Dark Knight and yeah. Ledger's Joker, he believes that he understands the deep truth. Yes. Of, and, and his job is to expose it. Right. And that's what Bender thinks. Yeah. Bender thinks you guys are all full of shit mm-hmm. and I'm going to expose your bullshit. That is that is going to be my mission throughout this whole movie. Right. I'm the smart one in the room that can see the con- the the the, uh, the fallacy in the constructs. Right. I am the smart one. And I'm not bound by society's no. rules, even though in his even way... I am because I showed up to detention. That's the thing. He showed up. That to me doesn't make him that much of a rebel that he shows up to detention. Well, and he 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 is he wants um uh approval just as much as anybody else. Exactly. He he's he's stuck in his own little right. patterns that he doesn't know how to get out to. And yes, he does a good job of seeing some of other people's stuff and right. does know how to play outside the lines a little bit, but really he's still bound by all of it just as much as anybody else. Absolutely. Hey. Homeboy, why don't you go close that door? We'll get the prom queen impregnated. Which is, to be clear, a really fucking scary thing to say. And Andy, who kind of sees himself in the hero role, reacts to it. Hey, what? If I lose my temper, you're totaled, man. Totally? Totally. I love, there's a certain kind of breakfast club John Hughesian language that is really (laughs) funny. Um... Um, and Claire, this is what I'm talking about. She is so. She says, "Why don't you just shut up? Nobody here is interested." And, and Brian, of course, is trying to keep everything cool, right. fellas. I just think we should write our papers. And Claire says he's just doing it to get a rise out of you. Just ignore him. To which Bender's response is sweet. You couldn't ignore me if you tried. Yeah. And there's a pause, and then he starts to ask some questions. Are you guys like boyfriend girlfriend, steady dates, lovers? Come on, Sporto. Level with me. Do you slip her the hot beef injection? Go to hell! Enough! <laughs> this is pretty awful. This is what we used to say in the 80s, hot beef injection. I don't mean that we had these kinds of scenes, but we certainly said hot beef injection. It right? came from the breakfast club. Right. You Probably. know, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, yeah, like... Probably, yeah. Um, but all of this is... Yeah, it's an interesting point you bring up, Steve. Is this all a reaction to the way he was treated from the beginning by these people? Um, but then again, 
he has a choice to act a certain way and he acts this way in this situation. Do you know what I'm saying? And pushes right. the boundaries and antagonizes and essentially, you know, like makes a joke about sexual assault, you know, yeah. rape for God's sakes, uh, getting the gang rape, no less by saying, getting the prom queen impregnated, you know, and she fights back by saying, you know, it wouldn't matter if you like, nobody would care. You know, Ben, you don't even count. I mean, if you disappear forever, it wouldn't make any difference. He may as well not even exist at this school. I mean, that's that's some pretty harsh stuff. It is. And this is why it's like the things that Bender says are horrible and the things they say to him are horrible. Yeah. And that's where we start out. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. No one is pure in this movie. No one. Yeah. Except maybe Alashidi. But then again, she does something later on that's kind of impure as well. So it's, it's no, it's pure. I, 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 well, and this is the thing. It's like, you know, we, we look back at some stuff in older movies and mm. go, that's horrible. We wouldn't do a thing like that today or say a thing like that today. That's awful. Right. I think sometimes good people are awful. Yeah. You know, and having movies in which we have these characters that are flawed and and yet still in the course of the movie we can feel sympathy for them yeah. is actually a good thing even despite the fact that they do say mean stuff. Yeah. There might be parts in this film where we go like okay, that might have been too far particularly looking at it today, but you know. Yeah. Um it's also part of why we keep coming back to the movie. Exactly. And this thing comes up of like about about clubs and activities because that you know the bender's like well i wouldn't even want to be in your clubs and they wouldn't have them in their clubs and then in the background is brian going i'm in the math club yeah <laughs> in the physics club physics club <laughs> and i love bender's turn it's like hold on a sec excuse me a sec what are you babbling about well what i'd said was that i'm in the math club uh the latin club and the physics club physics club and he asked Claire, you know, are you in the Latin club? And she goes, no, those are, those are um, academic clubs. Right. This is not social clubs. <laughs> um, and we get to. What do you guys do in your club? In physics, well, we, we, uh, we talk about physics, uh, properties of physics. So it's sort of social, demented and sad, but social. <laughs> social, yeah. But he's trying to, here's the deal. He's trying to, um, denigrate Claire in that moment for being judgmental. Right. But ironically, him saying demented and sad is a judgment of what Anthony Michael Hall is doing in those in that club. So he is the imperfect critic here because he is being just as judgmental on Claire in just a different way. Absolutely. Right. He, his sanctimony is is false. Well, he, he, it is exa- he is doing exactly what they do. Yeah, just the, from a different place. The, I mean, he's voicing it in a way that's um, more challenging, maybe. Yes. But in the end, he's got total judgments over all these people. Exactly. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. 
Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. And of course, we get we get into a little bit of we find out a little bit more about Andy that he's a wrestler, and you know, Bender's going, oh, I got a lot of admiration for guys who roll around in tights. And this is I love this exchange. <laughs> you wear tights? I wear the, uh, the required the uniform. required uniform <laughs> tights. <laughs> Such a, he, Anthony Michael Hall gets a, he gets a shot. He gets yeah. a shot in. He gets a little bit of a shot. Well, there, and because this is the thing is like you know. How do smart? How do the smart kids relate to the jocks? Right. Like, are the smart kids totally respectful of jocks? Which is, of course, something that's going to come up much, much later when when Claire says, "Oh, well, you you geeks look up to us." Yeah. And my experience was that was not necessarily true. Mm. You know, like the 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 outsider kids didn't admire the popular kids. Right. You know. Right. And that's the what the popular kids tell themselves for that reason to feel even more superior. Yeah. Right. I had the same experience. Like a lot of the goth kids hated, in my high school, hated the preppy kids and the popular kids. They hated them. Were Thought you a were... goth kid? No, I was not a goth kid. I was <laughs> what? A, I was a fucking nerd. I have this picture of no, but I have friends of dressed <laughs> yeah. all in black with like eyeliner yeah. and. Well, uh, I swung through many groups. That's me too. I was when I was I was a yeah. floater. Yeah, for definitely the most a floater. Part. I mean, I had my crew, but I floated in and out. Like I knew some of the cool kids, but I never wanted to be part of that crew. And I knew some of the goth kids, you know, obviously the the theater kids and things, drama kids, all that kind of shit. But like, yeah, I floated in and out. You yeah. Know? So Bender wants to close that door. Yeah. And and when Vernon goes up to go to the bathroom, we think we have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And again, you watch Paul Gleason do a bunch of funny stuff when he's, know. you know, checking himself out. and His physical his movements are just great. <laughs> he's really funny. Yeah. And Bender goes up and takes some screw out of the door and the door slams shut. And he's like going... Oh, I'm my genius. And all of the other guys are going, put it back. We're yeah. going to get in trouble. Um, and Vernon shows up. Why is the door closed? Um, and this is where an interesting thing happens. Because when the adult is in the room, they all stick together. Yep. Why is that door closed? How are we supposed to know? We're not supposed to move, right? Why? We're just sitting here like we're supposed to. Who closed that door? I think a screw fell out of it. Just closed, sir. And this is the moment where they start to begin to gel as possible friends down the road at the end of this experience. Possible friends. I don't necessarily agree they were friends coming out of this thing, but like possibly the beginning of some kind of commonality, which will allow the vulnerability and the sharing that occurs later on in the movie. Well, and I think this is just a general truth, which is that kids will always unite against the adult. Yeah. You know, although here's an interesting thing that's funny. I think when we were kids, to tattletale oh, yeah. was horrible. Of nobody nobody was. ever did that. Yeah. And kids today are really taught to tattletale. Yeah. You know, like if anything bad happens, go find an adult. Mm-hmm. And so our kids are constantly coming to an adult right. and saying so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that. Yeah. And I don't know, because I'm only looking at a seven-year-old. Right. I don't know how that's going to play out in high school if they're going to continue to do that. Mm-hmm. And there's a weird thing, which is on the one hand, I actually think handling your own stuff and not telling the adult is good. Yeah. And on the other hand, it leads to some really, really bad stuff where people are getting bullied and they don't feel they have any yeah. help and stuff like that. But right now they're uniting against uh, Vernon. And, you know, Bender goes, 
I don't have it. Screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. <laughs> and Claire, why would anyone want to steal a screw? And Vernon goes, well, I got a solution. I'm going to put a chair in front of the door. No, that door is much too heavy. And then they decide, he calls up Andy and says, help me move this giant magazine rack. And Andy's like, oh, damn it. Yeah. Right. So now Andy's helping him. It's yeah. very awkward and funny. Yeah. Um, and and Bender goes, you know, what, what happens if there's a fire? And this is the moment where... I agree there's reasons to have some sympathy for Vernon, mm-hmm. but immediately when he moves the magazine out, he throws Andy under the bus. He does. He goes, what are you doing? Come on, move this thing. Move I this expect thing. more from a letterman. I you expect know, more yeah. from a letterman, right. Yeah. I mean, like, that's just like, what a, we, we, what a dick. Well, he's stuck in high school, too. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. Yes. Everyone in this film is stuck in high school. <laughs> um, and by the way, in, their the, minds. in the middle, as Bender's talking about, oh, what if there's a fire? <laughs> Brian says, well, you know, the school comes equipped with fire exits at either end of the library. Show Dick some respect. Let's go. (laughs) And the last thing that happens is that as the moment is over, he kind of comes after Bender and says, look, I know you did this. And Bender on his breath says, eat my shorts. What was that? Eat my shorts. And this is this moment where the, the intelligent thing is that he just says he lies. Right. But whenever Bender's put on the spot... He can't back down. Especially in front of a crowd. Yep. Which he has here. Yep. Yeah. And so he says loudly and clearly, eat my shorts. Right. And eat then my shorts. And then you get into, you just bought yourself another Saturday. Yeah. And it goes, and we get into this moment it's of. back and forth. You just bought yourself another Saturday, mister. Oh, I'm crushed. You just bought one more right there. Well, I'm free the Saturday after that. Beyond that, I'm going to have to check my calendar. Good. Because it's going to be filled. We'll keep going. You want another one? Yes. And you could see him teetering between, I I don't want to spend the rest of my life in detention. He can't stop himself. Yep. Right. And he's just like, he's like, not even close, bud. Like all of that is defiance because he has no concept yet of the emotional maturity he needs to handle this situation. And so he defaults to a very... And for lack of a better term, and maybe I'm being misogynistic here, but a, a male trait, which is to puff out the chest. You know, I think oh, it's yeah. very primal, very, you know, like to to feel like they're just as powerful and take the hit, you know, that kind of thing. And he's even more encouraged when Claire says, stop it. And other people are trying to stop right. him. He feels even more like a warrior because he's even stepping up more and they're noticing what he's doing. Well, and Claire, stop it. That's the first moment of compassion yes. she showed him at all. Right. You know, and obviously later on, we're going to see that there's some attraction yeah, here. Yeah. And so when the girl who was mean to you is now cares about you when you're doing this self-destructive thing, well, it causes him, I think, to double down. Right. You know, the other thing that I was thinking about a lot is we have to remember about Bender. This is a victim of child abuse. Yes. And so I think... You know, his standing up to Vernon and taking it and puffing it out and being mm-hmm. primal, as you said, uh, I think that is in direct relationship to what he does or doesn't do with his dad. Absolutely. Any figure of authority. Yeah. Right. Because his dad is the first figure of authority. And his mom, too. We find out later when he does <laughs> this interaction between his dad and his mom about him. Yep. There's no love in that family. There's not one person standing up for him. And so 
this is his reaction to it all. Any any challenge from authority is to push back because he knows it's instinctively wrong. He just has no ability to get out of the situation. Yeah, yeah he can't. His pride just won't let him do mm-hmm. it. Um, and and of course, they do it so many times that, that Vernon doesn't even remember how many that was. Fortu- yeah. Fortunately, Brian is like, <laughs> well, it was seven as eight when he said before about the very man alone. It's like, oh, Brian. <laughs> Poor Brian. And, and of course, it ends with Bender, him saying, I've got you for two months. And Bender goes, I'm thrilled. Oh, I'm sure that's exactly what you want these people to believe. You know something, Bender? You want to spend a little more time trying to do something with yourself and a little less time trying to impress people. You might be better off. Which I think is true. It is exactly true. Yep. The other thing is, here's the hidden gift about this film when you go back and watch it from an older age. Vernon is right about so much that you didn't remember him being right about when you were watching the movie. This idea of writing the essay, he says, you can learn something about yourself. They actually do by being in detention. Yep. It's interesting. And so in this moment here, too, he goes, this is no way to go through life. You may you may feel defiant in this moment, but you don't understand in some fucked up way. And yes, I'm not doing it correctly because I got my own issues I'm dealing with. But this is no way for you to succeed in life acting this way, being this way. You're not going to make it. Well, and much later on in the film, Vernon says, you know, go visit John Bender in five years. Yeah. And, see, and you know what? He might very well be right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and And this is the thing. Vernon clearly does have some clear insight into these people, but that insight is also uh, obscured by his own ego and his own needs and his own condescension and anger. That's what's great about Carl, because Carl, when Carl breaks him down, it's honest. It's truthful. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, and, And then we have, as Vernon is leaving this great musical build, and as the door slams and the music climaxes, Bender yells... That's one of the great cues of any film I've ever seen. Cues. So good. Like sound cue to match the violence. And Vernon's reaction in close-up is everything, which is something I never noticed before. Explain what you think it is, because I totally agree. In that moment, he is react. Like there's this instinct to go back, but in my, it's all interpretation, right? In my interpretation, he was probably bullied by a guy like that in, in, in high school. Um, but also, it's the realization that this is his life. Dealing with these kids is his life. Being told to fuck off by these kids is what his life has come to. And he's just staring like, it's just, it's despondency almost, man. Like, he's just staring like, he just feels like, this is my, this is what I came to. And it's such a harsh reminder, you know, of what his life is. It's so interesting because I interpret it differently. Okay. Because what I interpret it as is regret. I blew it. Because oh, going be, going back at this kid. Because what he did mm-hmm. with Bender is exactly what Bender's doing. He can't show weakness in front of right. the kids either. And his main method of mm-hmm. of disciplining these of working with them is to alpha male them. Right. He is going to be the toughest person, mm-hmm. and and therefore he's going to go up against the toughest person in the room to try to break them. Right. And he can't. And just as this has gone off the rails with Bender, and Bender can't say no. Yeah. Vernon couldn't stop it either. Of course not. You know, and this wasn't, it didn't help any. He know. I I think in that moment, Mm -hmm. he's like, oh, that didn't help. Well, either way, whatever interpretation, we're both dealing with the concept of regret. Yeah. Either he regrets his entire life or that interaction. Yep. In that moment. Yeah. Now we get another little montage of we've been sitting waiting here a long time. Bender's lighting cigarettes off his shoe. (laughs) There's so much that happens in the movie where it's like, how could you possibly get away with this? Yeah, for eight hours. Yeah, it's like you're smoking in the library, tearing things up, breaking things. There's all sorts of destruction. And nobody. there's not a sense of like, wouldn't there be consequences of these things? There's a moment where Brian adjusts his pants. 
Yeah. I did a lot of pants adjusting at various times in high school. You mean when you have a boner? <laughs> I don't adjust my say... I don't adjust my pants anymore. <laughs> I let my freak flag fly, son. I'm at that age. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um and you know, uh Allie's put you know, tying strings around her finger to cut the blood off, which yeah. we I definitely did those things. Oh wow. Um uh Bender's doing some air guitar, Allie's doing a drawing, Andy's made a little paper football mm-hmm. thing, and then the moment as we look down at, at Allison's beautiful drawing, and then she makes it snow. Fuck with her dandruff. <laughs> I thought this was the funniest thing in the theater. <laughs> I could still remember just thinking that was hilarious. Yeah. And then slowly but surely, all of them fall asleep. Right. And Ali Sheedy's way of falling asleep in these sort of deliberate stages is so, she is so funny yeah, in she's this great. character. You know, one, yeah. one of the interviews on the Criterion Collection, she says that um, the uh, cinematographer of the film, who did Reds, right? Um, kept telling her that she was noticing her with her camera and that keep doing what you're doing. Even though you're not saying words, you're saying so much. And that's a valuable actress, man. So oh, I want to go back because it's the yeah. editor. Yeah. The oh, editor. sorry, the editor. Sorry, yeah. the editor, yeah. Yeah. So the editor said that. So yeah. yeah, correct me. That's fine. I don't care. You can keep it in. Okay. I don't need to be the smartest guy in the room. I'm All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get into I make so many mistakes, Steve. It doesn't matter to me anymore, yeah. Vernon yells, wake up. <laughs> Nobody moves. Yeah. Who has to go to the lavatory? All hands pop up. Yeah. And this is, you know, John Hughes has great comedy chops. Yeah. And 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 like and that's where I think there's a a balance, a very tough balance struck in Breakfast Club between drama and the serious like taking this seriously yeah. and being silly. And like the dandruff and the who needs to go to the lavatory, all hands pop up, and a bunch of other little bits are in the silly realm, but they work really well in the movie. Yeah, agreed. Um Later on, Bender is just tearing books apart and throwing the papers everywhere. This is where I go, like, how are you going to get away with this? Yeah. Like, Vernon's going to come in and find the destroyed library book. And Andy's like, oh, that's real mature. And he goes, oh, well, Moliere really pumps my nads. (laughs) Moliere. I love his work. I think I think it's becoming clear who who, which character I am in the breakfast. Yes. (laughs) There's not a lot of mystery. But he. Steve, we'll get to it later, but I think this film is also a bit of a fantasy film. Oh. Yeah. Moments like this you're talking about, the damage to do, the wrecking, all that kind of stuff, I think those are moments of fantasy within the reality of what's happening. And these are kids, right? So they're going to create fantastical things in their minds, things they're doing. I never thought of it that way, but I totally think you're right. Yeah. I mean, it just just seems like I was watching it this time. I was like, this is because I've always felt this way about, not always, but recently I felt this way about the scene later on where he screams and the shattered glass. There's no way you get away with that, right? There's no way Vernon doesn't hear that. There's no way it's not a big deal. How are they playing loud music in the library? These are fantasy moments that they're having within because they're they're playing make-believe in a way. I, so yeah. Well, let's we're going to address yeah, that again. Yeah, when we get yeah. there because I think you're. I I actually think you're totally right. But I this think is one a, of those moments that like, gives the illusion that gives the first right. hint that it may be. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. There's a little conversation between Andy and Claire about some party, mm-hmm. and we get that they're sort of in the same sort of circle. And it comes up that Claire says, "Oh, I'm kind of, you know, I don't know if I'll get to go, but I can usually you, you know, play my mother against my father." Right. Um. And Bender asks, and this is the first of those sort of bender questions mm-hmm. well who do you like best and claire takes the question seriously and kind of goes well and because bender's saying well if you had to live with one or the other because mm-hmm. the subject of divorce has come up and she right. goes oh, well i'd probably live with my brother 
um, <laughs> which is a way out. And, and and then she says this thing of like, I mean, I don't think either one of them gives a shit about me. It's like they use me just to get back at each other. That she's a tool between the two of them. It's terrible. And as soon as you go like, oh, that's I'm starting to have some sympathy. Right. Allison goes, ha, and then says nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this long moment where she says nothing, and then Claire says, shut up. <laughs> It's a very Allison is such a funny character. She's great. Um, and then Andy's response is, "You're just feeling sorry for yourself." That's messed up, declare. Mm-hmm. And her response is, "Well, if I didn't, nobody else would." That's some. There's some pain there. Mm-hmm. And, and Andy gives her nothing. He says, "Oh, you're breaking my heart." But I also think in that moment is Andy switching allegiance from Claire to Allison. It's the most mm. hate. Because it's right on the heels of Allison going, ha! It's him saying this, yeah. too. And so it's the switching. Because initially, you think when you're watching the movie, they're going to hook up, right? Those two. Right, because they're alluding the same, to it. Yeah, all of that. The same social circle. Exactly. And maybe they have, because I think that's... we did When we talked about this, where Bender questions them, I think they have hooked up. I don't think they've had sex. Yeah. I think they might have had a party hooked up. Because, right. you know, that happened all the time. Sure. And so, because the way they look, they feel a little embarrassed by it. Well, and and... I think you're totally right. I hadn't thought about it for this early, but because mm. one of the interesting things is what we're going to find out is what is Andy's problem? Well, he doesn't think for himself. Right. He is the machine that does what is expected. Exactly. Of him. What is Allison's character? She absolutely 100% does not do what anyone expects of her. Uh-huh. She is the opposite. Right. And so he looks over at her and goes, oh, maybe it's possible mm-hmm. to not be an automaton. You know, I think she's the one that actually sees the issues in the structure. Issues in the, in the establishment, the problems in the establishment, but she's not Bender and going to yell it out. Right. She quietly just knows. Yeah. Right. Bender needs validation for his knowledge, so he yells it out loud. Well, it's, it's Allison just knows. It's funny the 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 two characters I identify with, mm. obviously Brian. Yeah. But the other one is Allison. Interesting. Because I was smart kid outsider. Yeah. You know, and so and I think one of the reasons that I became a writer. Mm-hmm was because I really didn't understand the social social skills and how people operated together. Right. And I spent so much time on the outside observing because mm-hmm. I was really quiet. Yeah. You know, that I sort of... And so I relate to those two characters a lot. For me, know? it's Andy and Brian. Right. Because the nerdy part of me and then the part of me that loves sports. Right. But then my dad, you know, before we put things back together, my dad growing up in high school was very hard on me vocally. And right. the stuff that what we're going to talk about later on with Andy, what he talks about his dad, yeah. that's the kind of speeches my father would give me, which caused a big uh, fracture in our relationship right. for a lot of years before well, we put it back. This is why this movie is so profound, because I've yeah. met people that associate with each of these characters, mm-hmm. you know, of course. And, 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 and like, you know, and you and I are both a mix and mm-hmm. that makes perfect sense. Because, and I think what this, one of the things this movie is about is it's very hard to see someone else's pain from your pain. Right. You know? Like I know what my I have real problems, mm-hmm. and your thing like that's a, you're a rich kid and right who always gets what you want like oh you're breaking my heart right you know and what does Bender do at that moment? Stands up for Claire. Sporto, what? You get along with your parents. By the way, Andy shows a bit of smartness at this moment because mm-hmm. he because Bender asks him, "Do you like your parents?" And Andy's response is, "Well, if I say yes, I'm an idiot, right?" Which is absolutely true. That's yeah. a trap. Yeah. And of course, Bender says, You're an idiot anyway. But if you say you get along with your parents, well, you're a liar too. 
And Andy pushes him and says, if we weren't in school right now, I'd waste you. And I think there's a strange thing, which is that you see uh, Bender's bigger than him. Mm -hmm. And he is the dressed like a tough guy, you know. And I think the first perception is that, oh, Bender would be able to beat him up. Of course, that's not actually true. Right. And Bender goes, you hear this? You want me to turn it up? <laughs> this was so cool in 1985. I mean, we all, everyone I knew did this in mm-hmm. high school after this moment. Um, and Brian's trying to, you know, solve it. Hey, fellas. Yeah. Um, and they both throw his hands off him yeah. violently. And, and he's trying to be cool. He's like, well, I don't get along with my parents. I mean, yeah. their idea of parental compassion. <laughs> the idea, parental <laughs> compassion is just brilliant him saying that. Um, to which Bender's response is, dork, you are a parent's wet dream. <laughs> um, and Brian's response, I think, is actually profound, which is, well, that's the problem. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I know I'm quoting so many lines, but... Look, I could see you getting all bunged up for them making you wear these kind of clothes. But face it, you're a neo-maxi-zoom dweeby. What would you be doing if you weren't out making yourself a better citizen? Once again, judgment. Yep. Oh, right? totally judgment. Don't judge me, but I can judge all of you. Yeah. Bullshit. Well, and he's so... What, what's funny is he's, he's being mean to Brian in a way that he thinks is nice. Right. You know what I mean? Like because that's... they've established, because I'm sure the nerds have established an interaction with these outsiders as well. Like all the outside groups have established an interaction with each other that shows dominance and submission without being necessarily offensive, right? right? Or at least they think. Well, it's, and... it's very primal, tribes around well, each and other. Because yeah. uh, Brian is not a threat to Bender, right. he treats him. N- meaner and nicer than he does with andy he's not he's not posturing with brian because it's obvious that this guy's beneath him right you know um and and even then now claire comes to brian's defense Mm -hmm. like he has a name yeah and then the next thing is what's your name (laughs) because she's never has she ever even noticed brian no i don't don't think think she has either Mm -hmm. i don't think she's ever seen this kid yeah and and we find out that claire's name is claire which Mm -hmm. bender immediately insults the name it's a family name Oh, it's a fat girl's name. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I'm not fat. Well, not at present, but I could see you really pushing maximum density. Oh, this is, it's mean. Well, yeah. and this, and yeah, and throughout the movie, they just, he becomes meaner in, in certain spots when he should be nicer. And I know there was that essay, that Miley yep. Ring Roll, which I don't know how much we can get into, but like, it's a good essay. It's a very informative essay. But I think it's also an essay that um, you can find holes in. And Claire is pretty mean to Brian from the beginning, or Bender from the beginning. Oh, yeah. And Bender stays his course at times when he should be nicer. But if Bender becomes nicer, this film is over in 45 minutes. You have to have the conflict of Bender within the group to mirror the conflict of the group with uh, the Paul Gleason character, with Mr. Vernon. And so you have to keep that conflict going. Now, the way the script chooses to keep it going, it's not probably the best way. But he has to stay in conflict. Well, I, I I go further than that. I think if Bender doesn't start shit, yeah. there is no movie. That's a fair point. You have, you have five kids sitting in silence in a room. Absolutely. They don't talk to each other. Right. The fact that Bender goes right at the nerve, mm-hmm. you know, he goes right to the spine of each of them, yeah. is what makes the movie happen. Well, he that, is the yeah. catalyst for everything. That's a great point. Steve. And we're about to get into one because after Claire flips Bender off, you know, he goes, oh, such an obscene gesture from such a pristine girl. I'm not that pristine. Because she doesn't like the image. 
she has a complicated relationship to the image, her image at the school. Right. On the one hand, she's so popular and she is the, and she likes that. She enjoys the perks. Right. But on the other hand, she doesn't like that everyone thinks what people think of her. Right. You know, and that they put her into a box. And then we get into one of these things where we're looking at it, it's like, uh, because he asks, are you a virgin? Yeah. Are you a virgin? I'll bet you a million dollars that you are. And this is Bender stepping right into very personal private space. Mm-hmm. And and this and I remember I think this monologue of his in the description of I think it's really well written and it's really harsh and it's really painful, much more painful to watch today. Yeah. Um because of course, what fucking business is it of anybody who is and isn't a virgin? But yeah. man, he goes into the Have you ever been felt up over the bra? Under the blouse, shoes off, hoping to God your parents don't walk in. It's Lecter-esque. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> right? That is what it is. It's yeah. that moment in Silence of the Lambs yeah. where Hannibal Lecter just destroys Clarice at yeah. their first meeting. Because he can see right mm-hmm. through her. All the fumblings in the backseat all the way to the FBI. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> well. Over the panties. No bra. While some buttoned, Calvin's in a ball on the front seat past 11 on a school night. And now Andy is starting to defend her. Mm-hmm. Leave her alone. And Bender says, you're going to make me? And Andy says, yeah. The film is primal, Steve. Absolutely. Right? You have these... This is alpha male, yeah. straight up stuff. These are cavemen. This is 2001 shit. Cavemen like, you know, hanging around each other. And, and, and Claire is in essence kind of the... Not necessarily the prize, but certainly the thing to protect or to defend or whatever is. Well, she is theoretically the alpha female in the room. I she mean, is, you know, right? Because certainly not Allison, right? And so it, there's this idea of who, the switching allegiances, right? At one point, Bender makes fun of her, but then Andy does, and then 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 it's back to Andy, and then it's Bender, and so it's this kind of shifting, right? Well, and I think too that all of these people are raised within certain constructs of how you're supposed to behave, exactly. And Andy is definitely raised in the classic male, yeah. You know, the woman is being attacked. Defend the woman. I will be the hero. Right. That's who he, I think that's who he is going. That's who I'm supposed to be. Right. But then he has his moments of calling Claire out about her stuff too. Absolutely. Well, well, he would literally just said that she was, you know, get over yourself. Yeah. You know, he, he, you know, stop whining. Yeah. Um, But at this moment, Bender steps over the table, which is just a great aggressive move. Yeah. Uh, And he doesn't seem terribly intimidated. He says... Uh, you know, you better ask you and how many. He says, just me. Two hits. Me hitting you, you hitting the floor. <laughs> great line. It's a great, great line. And Bender starts to make a move and immediately Andy puts him down. Oh, he and does. He, like, Quickly. Dominates him totally. Yeah. And you go like, oh, right, because he's a great wrestler. Exactly. He does actually know what he's doing. And Bender's clearly shaken, mm-hmm. backing off. I don't want to get into this with you, man. By the way, this shot, Steve, is... Uh, a great directorial shot to have. It's it's. I put it akin to uh, Roy Scheider uh, sliding into frame after the Jaws comes out and the, when he's chumming. Totally right, because he comes out in the foreground 
uh, Bender does, yeah. straight up into the into in, in in a way, and you have to focus on him, even though Andy has just put him down. So Andy's the dominant one. You still have to maintain some kind of power level for Bender. So when you have him shoot up in the camera, he's bigger than Andy, and says, you know, like you know, I, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna get into this with you. That kind of thing. He shakes it off and walks away from him. Well, the other thing that relates to the Roy Scheider shot, mm-hmm. which I never thought about, but I think you're totally right, yeah. is Roy Scheider is shook. Yes, exactly. Is that Bender gets up exactly. like he just got dominated in seconds yep not even seconds like in a second yeah and i think he is freaked out of course and now he has to reestablish some sort of manliness right. and so what does he do pulls out the switchblade yep because i will kill you right in essence yeah right well that's he says it he's i know he yeah. says i'll kill you and then he he puts the carefully into and the with, chair. with the strength puts the knife into the chair yep um and and a, and there's a pause here mm-hmm. um and andy's legitimately spooked I think so. Because Andy has his own thoughts about these burner crowds and what they right. do and these guys who, you know, who probably out there smoking, doing marijuana, drinking, whatever. He probably thinks they've committed crimes and done stuff like this and gotten away with it. So when he sees him pull out the knife, there is that moment of like, oh, shit, what have I got myself into? And yet he still plays the hero because he says, you don't talk to her. You don't look at her. Yeah. You don't think about her. Understand me? Yeah. And while this monologue is happening, Allison steals the knife. Yep. <laughs> the klepto that she is. And Bender's response is, I'm trying to help her. Right. Is he? He thinks he is. That's what I would I think say. think so too. He thinks he is. But um, like we said, like I said before, he's the imperfect critic, right? He's not the person that should be doing this. But without him doing this, there's no way they have the resolution that they have by the end of the movie. And by the way, I'm going to bring something up a little, little bit later. Allison taking the knife is interesting. And throughout the movie, the things that she takes signify something. In, mm. in oh, I can't wait. In uh, total, I, I have another Bender question. Sure, is he all talk? Like in other words, I know that Andy has physical prowess yes. because he is a wrestler. Right? Has Bender? Does he really fight people? Well, he, here's the deal: you have to break them down separately, right? Bender, the armor he is wearing is to convey "Don't fuck with me." Yes, but. I don't think he could fight anybody. It's just to give the illusion that you, if you did, you might get killed or beat up or whatever because he's he's so tough talking. I don't think he's tough at all. I think he's actually pretty broken and hurt yeah. by this upper. I think he's a sensitive kid who chose this other route to go rather than the Brian route, which is bringing the gun to kill himself, blah, 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 which we'll find out later. He chooses this other route to convey what he thinks is strength even though he has none because his dad and his mom both abuse him. Andy's strength is different because Andy is almost, un, um, how, uh, uh, how would you say this? An, a reluctant wrestler. He's a reluctant hero. He's a reluctant all this kind of jazz because he has been built up to be this machine, but he is capable of thought. And so he uses it and threatens it because it's the only way he knows how to establish dominance because he has, a, has no confidence in his, in his mind because his parents have given him no confidence in his mind and they only give him confidence in his physical abilities. Yeah, I right? totally agree. Remember when he drops him off, his dad says, do you want to ruin your ride? Yep. Do you want to mess with your ride? It's not going to be your brain that's going to get to college. It's your skills as a wrestler. And yeah. that that's a terrible thing to carry all the time. Well, I think he has physical prowess and he lacks character, strength of character. Right. And the thing, which is why he threatens all the time, because he could really do it. He wouldn't need to threaten. Yeah. And, and the thing, the thing that's interesting about, about Bender, I think in his way, he is as smart as Brian. 
Yes, you sure. know, because he his actual way of establishing dominance is words and ideas mm-hmm. and understanding people, which he he is brilliant. Yeah, you know, and so it's but I and I don't think he's actually had to use the physical side of it, mm-hmm. although the way he looks and the way he behaves, people think that he's got all this physical. And pain. that's why, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Enter Carl, your janitor, <laughs> Carl. It's just a great The quiet joke. hero of the movie, by the way. Carl. Absolutely. Yep. You want to know who was originally cast? No. Rick Moranis. Oh, I, I like this guy better. Me too. He fits with the cast better. Apparently, he left over creative differences. <laughs> I have no idea, like, what in the, like, four scenes that Carl has <laughs> would have been the creative differences. You know what? Uh, I need more in this role. <laughs> Do you, Rick? Do you really? Well, my guess is part. Go back to Canada. My guess is that <laughs> Rick was trying to make it funny. He probably was. You know, and that which and, is of course logical. That's why you cast a guy like that. I mean, he's a really funny guy. Yes, he is. And Carl, Carl is just great. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Brian knows who he is, and Bender's. Oh, your dad works here. Um, but 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 Bender knows Carl. Yeah, like of course everyone knows Carl. Yeah, you know, Bender's being a jerk. Um, uh, and I love you know how does one become a janitor? You want to be a janitor? No, I just want to know how one becomes a janitor because Andrew here is very interested in pursuing a career in the custodial arts. The custodial arts. <laughs> and then Carl delivers a great speech. Man. Absolutely. You guys think I'm just some untouchable peasant, sir, peon, you know? Maybe so. But following a broom around after shitheads like you for the last eight years, I've learned a couple of things. I look through your letters, look through your lockers. I listen to your conversations. You don't know that, but I do. I am the eyes and ears of this institution, my friends. By the way, that clock's 20 minutes fast. That's <laughs> just a great... And and uh, Bender smiles. Because... Yep. Yes, yes. Because he knows that guy gets Un- it. He understands something. He, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and he, in, one that's, in that speech, entire speech, he completely reverses the social paradigm. Of, yep. This idea that you look down on the janitor, but the janitor knows all the shit you're hiding. And well, so in a way, more dominant than you. Well, and it's funny because it's a funny thing. And I don't think I noticed it for years and years right. that he is the man of the year. Yeah. At this high school. Yeah. And so like the, the, the implication seems to be, oh, how the mighty have fallen. This poor guy, you know, who's going right. to be so great, became a janitor. But I think the more you think about this movie, you're just like, no, Carl's got it all figured out. Mm-hmm. He is still the man of the year. Right. He is the most squared away person in the whole movie. Absolutely. Uh, and I think Bender appreciates that. And I, and I think this goes, just goes to being an editor. And as you mentioned, mm-hmm. Dee Dee Allen, who is the editor of, I, I wrote a bunch of it down, Reds, yeah. Serpico. I mean, she's an wow. editor of a whole list of amazing films. Yeah. Um, is that this movie is a study in reaction shots. Right. Is that you see so much about who these characters are in the reaction shots. And anyone who is interested in directing or editing... Just go through and in your brain when you're watching the film, just watch reaction shots. And this one with Bender smiling mm-hmm. at what Carl says is a great, great example. Agreed. Uh, Vernon's playing some weird game with cups and pencils and th- building things in his office. Because, yeah. Because it's just as boring he's for him. just as, as bored as they are. Yeah. He's, he's pissing away the time just as much as yep. they are. He could be studying a new thing, mm-hmm. stocks, a uh, new career. He could be doing any kind of thing with this extra time. And he's doing exactly what they're doing. He's pissing away the time. Uh, amusing himself. Yep. Right. Whereas back in the room we have, which is why he's still a teacher. <laughs> yeah.
Did they show that to kids, the Bridge on the River Kwai back then? I wonder. I had seen it at you this would... point in high school. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I, I saw it. Has pro- Claire seen it? That's what we shocked me if Claire I, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I always forget, by the way, that piece of music is called Major Bogey's March. Yeah. <laughs> If you've ever um, seen The Bridge on the River Choir, it's great. Yes. And we, that we, is, we have to doing cover that, that movie. Yeah. There's no question about it. Absolutely. Um, I think that'll be our next David Lean. Definitely. Absolutely. Then in comes Vernon, and everyone stops whistling, <laughs> except Bender. Yep. All right, girls. That's 30 minutes for lunch. And Bender asks, will milk be made available to us? And they just start talking about dehydration. And again, they're all on a team now. Yep. Because they all want to get drinks. We're extremely thirsty, sir. I have a really low tolerance for dehydration. I've seen her dehydrate, sir. It's pretty gross. Uh, he goes, okay, Andy, you're going to go to the soda machine. Which Andy's, okay, damn it. Like, again, I got chosen. Yeah. Right? But he wants Claire to go with him. Mm-hmm. Nope, you're going with Allison. Yeah. And now Andy and Allison are together. Mm-hmm. And now we're 30, 40 minutes into this movie. Mm-hmm. She has not spoken. Nope. The only thing she said was, ha. Exactly. And now he says, okay, what's your poison? And her, there's a pause. And then she says, vodka. 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 <laughs> when do you drink vodka? Whenever. And we start to get this stuff from her character. Well, watch the physical thing here too, Steve. Is as they come around the corner, he's ahead of her, right? Because in his mind, he's leading. He's the alpha, blah, blah, blah. She is stalking him. And I don't mean stalking, mm. stalking in the sense of like, you know, like looking up people's phones. You mean in terms of how she's moving? Yes. Mm. Like, an, a, like stalking his, her prey in the jungle of high school from behind, just watching him from behind, the way she's moving, the movement. Interesting. And then when she swings around to tell him vodka, who's walking ahead of who? Yeah. And this is, these are the movements that are very interesting when you're watching this film. And it says a lot about their relationships. And, and now we're going to get to what I think is, to, to me, is one of the real false moments in mm. the movie, which well, is he asks her, why are you here? Right. She says, why are you here? And he tells her. Yeah. And is very, very clear and explains exactly what his problem is in a way that I don't believe. Like, mm-hmm. Andy just volunteers it. To this person he barely knows. And I would find it a little... But it's not the full truth, because she says, why are, you, why are you here? Like, she says yeah. it again. Why are you here? Like, that's all I... But why Well, because you? he didn't actually answer her question. Right. He didn't say the thing that he did. Right. But he does give the whole analysis of his character, because right. he says... So I get treated differently, because uh, Coach thinks I'm a winner. So does my old man. I'm not a winner because I want to be one. I'm a winner because I got strength and speed. Kind of like a racehorse. About how involved I am and what's happening to me. He's peacocking. He's peacocking, but also right, showing the vulnerability of what's. Uh, yeah, I just think it's a little where everyone else kind of has to be forced mm. to sort of mm-hmm. explain themselves. He's like, "This is this is me." Yeah, but and then I hear your point absolutely, Steve. But as I said earlier, when he starts to he's choose he's starting to move towards Allison. So in that moment, he's seeking to connect with her yeah. because he does. Yeah have some whether he knows it or not it's probably subconscious the beginnings of an attraction sure for, for whatever reason and so in that moment i think he's just like surrendering a little bit of his vulnerability to her because he's like he probably has no idea how to do emotional stuff at all himself right. you know well and then the next moment as you say she goes she takes it in she goes that's very interesting yeah now why don't you tell me why you're really here yeah boom which yeah. is great we get into some joking about elephantitis of the nuts, which when I was 14 or 15, I thought was hilarious. Well, of course, of course. Um, 
And very unfortunate condition, by the way. And, and, <laughs> yeah, certainly. And then he says something about Brian being a cherry. And Brian doesn't like that. Oh, I'm not a cherry. I've laid lots of times. <laughs> <laughs> Bender tries to get a little more info on this. Yeah. Brian's like, oh, well, you know, she lives in Canada, in the Niagara Falls area. <laughs> Never laid anyone around here. And Brian does a gesture. Yes. And it's a very, it's funny. I think this is great gesture acting from Anthony Michael Hall because he doesn't just point at Claire. Right. He kind of nods generally in Claire's direction. Right. In a way He's to trying to be cool, right? In, in a way to kind of imply that maybe, which is really stupid. It is stupid, uh, particularly when you're talking to Bender, right. because he just goes, "Oh, you and Claire did it." What are you talking about? Uh, nothing, nothing. Let's just drop it. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about it later. No, drop what? What are you talking about? Well, Brian's trying to tell me that in addition to the number of girls in the Niagara Falls area, that presently you and he are riding the hobby horse. Uh, and Brian's like, "No, no, I didn't say that." And Claire's like. And this is the first moment she turns on Brian. Yeah. You know, I didn't appreciate this very much, Brian. He is lying. Oh, you weren't motioning to Claire? You know he's lying, right? Were you or were you not motioning to Claire? And it's an interesting moment because here the who we would think of as the really honest kid is actually and talking to the person who's the bad kid is accusing the bad kid of being a liar when in fact he did exactly what bender says he did right, right. and that he is now lying and trying to use the bad kid's reputation and his good reputation to make her believe him yeah and of course that's not going to work and he finally just says i didn't want you to know i was a virgin and I don't know where kids are today because mm -hmm. things have changed a lot in oh, terms yeah. of sexuality and mm -hmm. how people talk about these things. But certainly when I was a kid, who was and was not a virgin? And did you want people to know that? That was a big deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't know how it is now. They're all so sexual nowadays. I don't know. It's, things are much more out there. Yeah. Um, so I don't know quite how all that works. But it was all very private when we were young. Yes, it was. And important. Yeah. And Claire kind of goes, no, I think it's okay for for someone to be a virgin. It's like, really? You think it's okay? <laughs> like, it's such a bizarre kind of moment. Uh, lunch. Yeah. Everyone's taking out their lunch. <laughs> I think, again, uh, you know, I said this a lot. When you're a director, everything's a choice. And they, this is picking their lunches is an opportunity to develop character. Yeah. And the only person, and one of the choices is that Bender doesn't have a lunch. Right, of course he doesn't. Claire goes, where's your lunch? And he says, you're wearing it. Right. Um, but I think it's interesting because, yeah, Bender has to go all day without eating. Right. And probably he comes to school without a lunch a lot of times because mm -hmm. probably his parents don't get him a lunch. What do you think he means by that? You're eating or you're wearing it. I think it is a sexual. Um, okay. Like I'm going to consume you, you know, mm. in a sexual way. Okay. You know. Like he wants his mouth all over her body. That's 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 how the, that's how I always interpreted it. Okay. What do you? How you do interpret it? I don't know. That's okay. why I asked because I because the allusion's not to eating her out. Like it isn't saying it like that. Like that's what you would say. Yeah. He says you're wearing it. Yeah. You know, or you because you you not you would say you are it. Right. Where's your lunch? You're it. Yeah. Right. That's a different. No, it's a weird line. So, yeah, I wonder what he means. I mean, Bender speaks in a way that nobody speaks. Right, right. You know, it's a completely invented language. I, I paused on what she was wearing during the mm. to see if there's an illusion or mm. what he's trying to say. Mm. Yeah. Claire has sushi. 
course it does. Man, in 1985, this was crazy. Nobody, I mean, now sushi is a popular food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't then. Right. And not only does she have sushi, she has the whole, the wooden thing. Yeah. And the whole setup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a, and really, you know, sushi is not a thing you want to take to school for lunch. No. No, the fish does not handle that well. If you don't go to the actual sushi place, don't bring it around. Like, I, no. I do not want you eating it in front of me. Like <laughs> I, I don't trust anything sushi-based that isn't actually made for you right in front of you for you to eat in that moment. <laughs> Andy has like five sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> out of his Got to bulk up. <laughs> yep, got to bulk up. So, of course, the next lunch is Allison's. Oh, right. <laughs> Where she throws the meat up on the statue, <laughs> takes what looks like uh, maybe Captain Crunch or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. and puts it on the sandwich, and then pours pixie sticks all over it, and everyone turns around to watch her eat this thing. <laughs> um, I knew kids who did exactly these things. It's the elf lunch. Yeah. That's what totally. I mean. <laughs> and of course, Brian has PB&J yeah. with the crust cut off. The crust cut off. <laughs> and I love there's a moment as Bender's going through his, his food that he slaps Brian's hand. <laughs> Yeah. It is a really funny little bit. It is. Um, and as he's talking, he goes like, oh, this is a very healthy lunch. And then he goes into my impression of life at Big Bry's house. Son? Yeah, Dad? How's your day, pal? Great, Dad. How's yours? Super. Say, son, how'd you like to go fishing this weekend? But I've got homework to do. That's all right, son. You can do it on the boat. Gee. And then the, at the end, as the, the, the family is kissing each other, Bender punches mm-hmm. the faces of the, of the characters that he's created. Right. Judgment and jealousy at the same time. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Well, and because his response to his family is to be everything that they don't want him to be. Mm -hmm. And Brian's response to his family is to try to be everything they want him to be. Exactly. And he sees Brian, he sees that as weak or false Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, buying into the cultural whatever. Right. And it's mean. Agreed. And again, everyone kind of reacts. They're great reaction shots here. And then Andy goes, all right, what about your family? Oh, mine? That's easy. And then the monologue. Stupid, worthless, no good, goddamn freeloading son of a bitch, retarded, big mouth, know-it-all asshole jerk. And then the mom's voice. Which is, which is when the, this whole film changes for me, when he brings in the mom. You forgot ugly, lazy, and disrespectful. Shut up, bitch! Go fix me turkey pot pie. And then... You know, we had that build earlier that goes to the fuck you. This is a similar build. What about you, Dad? Fuck you. No, Dad. What about you? Fuck you! No, Dad! What about you? Fuck you! And then there's that pause. Mm -hmm. You know? Do you think this thing that he just described is the truth? I think it's a version of the truth. I think every... Every description by these kids about their interaction with their parents is a version of their yeah. truth. I'm sure this has happened in, in yeah, I think this happened. Bender's house. How how often it's happening right. We don't I don't really but know. But what's Bender doing also is Bender laying around the house, is Bender purposely saying things under his breath to mess with his dad, to mess with his mom. He's like, what is Bender doing as well to, to in this equation? We don't know. So we only see it from Bender's point of view, is all I'm yeah. saying. 
Um, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's on this point of view. And the first reaction is shock, I think, among the group. Yes. And then Andy Andy, Andy kind of goes, is that for real? Right. You know, and, and I think it's because he can't believe that that's really, mm. he doesn't want to have sympathy for this guy. Right. Because the story is similar to what we find out later on to Andy's story. And he asks if it's for real. And Bender's like, yeah, you want to come over? And then Andy rejects it. He goes, no, it's bullshit. Uh, and Bender has just exposed the most painful thing in his life, I right. think, and done it truthfully. Right. Like, and this is the thing about his character is he does bring out his own truth. Right. In his in, in his own way. In his own way. And it and that's the moment which Andy rejects it and goes, "That's bullshit. It's all part of your image. I don't believe a word of it." You don't believe me? No. No. Did I stutter? And then Bender rolls up his sleeve, holds out his arm, and yeah. says, "You see this? It's about the size of a cigar." Do I stutter? See, this is what you get in my house when you spill paint in the garage. And of course, because he's not emotionally aware in those moments or emotionally understand, understands his emotions, he says that it's a moment of vulnerability yep. to show Andy and everyone else in the room. He senses that now he's the center of attention for his vulnerability, not for his like not for his strength, his strength yeah. or sarcasm. And he goes, I don't need to deal with you fuckers or whatever he says, and then just walks away. You know, rips, you know, throws the books all over the place in a fit of anger, and then you know climbs, climbs up, up that right. Yeah, it's, which is also very primal, right? That's like a a a, a gorilla or, 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 or an, a, you know a monkey climbing up, and then puts his head against the thing and just breathes out. You know, yeah. Uh, I mean, it is it is. Uh, Judd Nelson's great in this movie. He is. He is really great. Um, I wish he'd been great. Me too. And now a million things going forward. I I yeah because and, and this is one of the things about this movie is really. I think this is the best of this whole cast. You know, I don't think some mighty ducks fans might be mad at you, but yes, <laughs> go, you could go ahead and be mad at me. That's fair. And, and Claire's response is to Andy's like, you shouldn't have done that. And Andy's like, well, he lies about everything else. Mm-hmm. I actually don't think Bender lies very much at all. Mm-hmm. He might be an asshole, right? But I don't think he, we see him saying things that aren't true. Right. Barry Manilow is in fact angry that <laughs> Vernon raided his wardrobe. Um, speaking of Vernon, he's like doing, he's got orange in his mouth, oh. and he spills his coffee all over coffee the place. Brilliant. Just great physical comedy with him. And he's not an angry guy. That's the thing too. Like when the coffee spills, he doesn't go, God damn it. He just goes oh, with the orange in his mouth. Yeah. Because you know what? I've, I've been Vernon in these situations. Yeah. It's just like, Oh God, right. Can't believe this is happening. Um, and they decide to sneak out. This seems like a crazy thing to Once do. Once again, this is a fan. This to me is a fantasy. Yeah, scene. maybe because there's no way Bender doesn't hear their 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 shoes squeaking in the hallways. They're running, and he's so close. Well, to he them could come all the back time. to the library any time and see that they're gone. Yeah, but you know the library where we've torn up books and thrown exactly. sandwich meat on the statue. Um, and, and as they're heading out through the hallways, Brian is kind of going, "Why are we doing this?" Right. And now Andy is going. He's telling Brian to shut up. Mm-hmm. Is even though he just had this huge conflict with Bender, yeah. he, I think, Andy really wants to be bad, in 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 the right way. That's a fair point. Like he wants to experience it for one. He wants to break the rules for once and in and see what that feels like. Yeah, yeah. to not he's be in such a cage. Yeah, and and we get to the locker, which has like a double locker mm-hmm. guillotine set up, mm-hmm. and we pull out some some weed. That was marijuana. Shut up. Do you approve of this? Do you approve of this? Do you approve of this? <laughs> and now they're going to head back, and we have these shot of their feet, and then they see Vernon. Yeah. And there's a great 
completely nonsensical chase sequence where he's randomly That's what I mean. wandering it's all, halls. This just feels very fantasy-like, this moment. Yeah. And we're trying to figure out how to get back to the library without seeing him, and there's like a moment of rebellion. And Andy says, we should go this way, and Bender says, we should go the other way. Right. And Bender finally gives in, and they go Andy's way, mm-hmm. and they end up at a, at a gate, and they're trapped. Shit! Great idea, Jagger. Fuck you! Fuck you! Why don't you listen to John? We're dead. No, just me. And he stuffs the weed down Brian's pants <laughs> and runs off singing, I want to be an airborne ranger. I want to be an airborne ranger. I think this is a heroic moment. Sure. He takes one for the team. Mm-hmm. He, and I think the logic is like, I'm already here for the next eight weeks. What difference does it make? To me, it's very reminiscent of uh, Poseidon Adventure. With, <laughs> okay. the, with the Borg Nine and Hackman battle through the whole thing about where they should go. Mm. Right in this moment, but Hack- I have no memory of Poseidon. Return. What, oh. Steve? No, I haven't, I haven't seen it in thirty years. So what? I have no memory of it. Holy shit! <laughs> we'll do it. I know you That's love it. That's a favorite of the top ten show, man. We bring it I, one up. I, I hear you bring it up all the time. <laughs> yeah, we do. But no, in the in uh, in the course of the movie, Hackman's been leading him a certain way for so long. But then Borgnine, who of course is a former cop and wants to kind of also put his two cents in, thinks he they should go a certain way. And when they start to go the way Borgnine wants, they end up in a trap situation right. that hackman has to save them out of and so it's the same kind of sure. shades of it here as i well. wish we could say like john hughes were you thinking of the poseidon <laughs> adventure <laughs> right at this moment right but then john hughes is known for throwing these fantasy moments into films like how is ferris bueller doing the whole parade and yeah. no one catches him and his dad doesn't see him and all of that and people dance in unison that dance flash mob ferris bueller and, is yeah. so odd it's a it's incredible yeah and it totally didn't happen you know? I, I'm I'm fascinated by this theory of yours, and I'm kind of yeah. I'm kind of sold on it. Um, and, and now, of course, Vernon's pissed. He's chasing, trying to catch up with Bender. Yeah, finally catches him in the basketball court where Bender's got like one tennis shoe on, <laughs> one boot on, and apparently this moment they kept doing different takes, and every time. Bender, uh, Judd Nelson did it with the ball. He did different stuff. Oh, great. So uh, Paul Gleason really didn't know what was about to happen with right. him trying to throw the ball. And this was the first time that he rolled the ball across the floor. And as he did it, he's like, please kick it, please kick it. And that's what he did. And that's, that's of course, the take that they used. That's great. Back in the library, he's really being physical with Bender. Everything's a big joke, huh, Bender? The false alarm you pulled Friday. False alarms are really funny, aren't they? What if you're home? What if your family... What if your dope was on fire? Impossible, sir. It's in Johnson's underwear. (laughs) Which it is. His eyes just pop open. Yeah. Poor Brian. You think he's funny? You think this is cute? You think he's bitching? Is that it? He's a bum. You want to see something funny? You go visit John Bender in five years. You'll see how goddamn funny he is. What's the matter, John? You going to cry? He breaks him down, man. Yeah. He has the power to, and that's the thing. Vernon should be a better person, but he's not in certain moments. And in this moment, he really isn't. No. And even that's why that moment of regret you're talking about, he still has more of these exchanges with Bender. So he doesn't learn the lesson of those moments of regret. And so well, he goes back. He wants, he wants these kids to respect him. Right. And his, and he feels that Bender is costing him his respect because of the disrespect coming from Bender. Right. So he has to tear this guy down in order for him to look better. Well, and it's also a different generation because I'm sure when Mr. Vernon was raised, they the tactics he's using were the way he was raised. Right. Uh, right. All the kids were raised, right? This idea, like, 
parents could spank your kid. Right. The other parents in back in those days, right? Well, when I remember being a kid and teachers got physical with kids. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I didn't see a teacher pull out a ruler and beat a kid or anything. Oh, no. But I definitely saw teachers grab kids and push them around. Oh, and, yeah. I've been yeah. yanked by a teacher yeah. in, in elementary Not, school. That, they school. don't do that anymore. Nope. Um, we're in a storeroom. And Vernon is all over him. That's the last time you ever make me look bad in front of those kids. Yeah. And then he gets to this really weird thing. But someday, man, someday, when you're out of here and you've forgotten all about this place and they've forgotten all about you and you're wrapped up in your own pathetic life, I'm going to be there. That's right. And I'm going to kick the living shit out of you, man. I'm going to knock your dick in the dirt. Wow. And... And there's genuine fear on Bender's. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He is scared. Because Bender's finally crossed that line with him. Yeah. Well, and he's like, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Um, And he really tries to get Bender to take a swing at him. Mm -hmm. Do you think anyone's going to take your word over mine? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a great guy. They love me at this school, which I don't think is actually necessarily true. Right. I don't think it's true either. Um, and, and he like gets his right in his face. He yeah. closes his eyes like, come on, just one swing. That's all I need. Because if Bender takes a swing at him, then he can beat the shit out of him. That's, of course. That's what he's thinking. Right. And get him expelled. Yep. He even faints a punch at his face. Mm -hmm. And Bender just sits there, clearly scared. Yeah. And he said, that's what I thought. You're a gutless turd. Mm. And he closes the door and locks him in. Right. Um, Which is probably not the first time Bender's been locked in a closet. Yeah. I bet his dad or his mom yep. has done that to him growing up as a kid. Yep. Uh, he, he he goes to the bathroom using the toilet seat cover. Um, and back in the storage room, there's a pile of stuff that goes up to the ceiling. And he's crawling through the rafters <laughs> telling a joke to himself. I love that we never get to the end of this joke. Nope. The sausage and the... <laughs> Naked Blonde walks into a bar with a poodle under one arm and a two-foot salami under the other. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, okay, I'm ready. What is the rest of the joke? And then, of course, and again, this goes to your thing of fantasy, mm -hmm. is then he falls through the ceiling into the library. Right. Uh, Vernon runs in, going with the toilet seat cover still in his pants, saying, what's going on? What was the ruckus? And again, the kids all go together. Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office, and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? And where's Bender? He's under the table. Yep. Uh, his face between Claire's legs. He looks up, sees her underwear. Yeah. And this is the crux of that Molly Ringwald article. Yeah, it is. Um, and uh, by the way, that's not Molly Ringwald's underwear. That's a, that's a, <laughs> okay. that's a, a grown up. Good to know. Um, here's the thing that she says. She says that it's very clear that he touched her inappropriately in that moment. When you watched the movie as a kid, or did you think that's what happened? No, I just thought his she sensed his head between her knees. That's what I thought. Then slammed her knees together. And when he climbed out after Vernon leaves, she slaps the shit out of him. Yeah, I never I never thought as a young man that he had actually moved forward and touched her inappropriately. Right, right. I thought she sensed him there. Now, it's perfectly reasonable of course. Uh, interpretation that that's what happened. Because her reaction was... <gasps> Yeah. So maybe, you know, she's caught in that moment of if I say something, he gets caught, but I don't know what to do here because I don't know how to cover my reaction. And so she has a reaction. Well, and, and so there's an argument to be made in looking at this film. And this yeah. is what Molly, it's a real, I think it's a really interesting article. I agree. And one where she tries to be balanced and kind of look mm -hmm. at this from a lot of different perspectives. But there's certainly an interpretation where this guy psychologically abuses this woman mm -hmm. and their young girl and then physically uh violates her 
you know, space. Right. And then in the end, she goes with him. And that right. and that that's really a problematic narrative. Well, and that's what's so uh, complicated about the situation, Steve, because she is also very complimentary of John Hughes having female protagonists. Yep. And even says in the interview on Criterion, which was shot, I think, in 2017, that people still don't do this. Like, still don't have right. female protagonists in these high school movies. You know, that's why Blockers was so great that our friend Kay Cannon did. Yeah. Because the three female protagonists are the protagonists of the movie, the three yep. girls. And so it's nice to see that happening. And so with this is the same thing. This idea of his approach to it versus how it could look. But then, I mean, but also it's the 1980s. Like, I think you have to throw that into the conversation. I don't think you can excuse it, but you could have that conversation. Like, back then, things were a little more like... Um, it was like treasure. Do you know what I'm saying? It wasn't on the internet. Like you like look up porn or some shit like that. So in in my mind, he's like looking at her panties, looking at her uh, private part. It's like fantastical in that moment. But her reaction to it is very powerful as well. Like it is a rejection of it because it's a violation. I, and so absolutely. her ending up with him, you're right. There's an argument to be made that that seems like a male fantasy. I, I think because um, I've been thinking about this quite a bit and it, it goes into conversations we've been having right. for you know the whole time we've done the show about how do we view things and how do we interpret them and I think first of all the discussion is good and if yeah. that's the interpretation you feel about this film and you're troubled by it that's fine absolutely here's here's what I was thinking about this morning was I went well at the time the standard was porkies yes you know oh god yes and that if you look at 16 Candles, you see him trying to appease that standard. Right. And there's some really horrible things in 16 Candles. And that then when you look at this, it's like if you judge this by 2018 standards, it seems retrograde. Right. But if you d- judge it by 1982 standards or 84 standards, then you go like, well, this is pretty advanced. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so he's fighting against the standard and he gets to a certain place, not as far maybe as we would want him mm-hmm, to get. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is certainly a moment where the character of Bender is not being that cool to the right. character of Claire. And as you say, he pops up and she slaps him. This is after Vernon's yep. gone and they've all coughed together and yeah. done like the shave and a haircut, two bits, <laughs> you know, knocks and all this stuff together. But as soon as he's out, yeah, she's slapping him. And now uh, Vernon's gone. Yeah. And it's time to smoke some weed. Yeah. Which is a crazy thing to do. I mean, like the, the idea mm-hmm. that they would do this and not get caught. Yeah. And there's... Or it wouldn't be smelling. Yep. In the I mean, it, weed smells. Thank you. And, and, there's, and there's a lot of smoke. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't smoke just a little. No. I don't know how much weed Bender had in his uh, locker, but... It's a lot. It fills a whole room. Yes, it does. Um, <laughs> um, and first there's like, you know, don't do it. And... But Claire, who just slapped Bender for yeah. being between her legs, is now interested. And Brian's thinking about it, and Allie's mm-hmm. thinking about it, and there's sort of silent looks between all of them. And then yeah. and then Brian goes, and then Andy goes. Yeah. And now we're stoned. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of improv here. Very funny. It's really, particularly Anthony Michael Hall. Oh, my God. He is Cheeks. so... <laughs> they can't hold the smoke. They can't hold the smokes. Chicks cannot hold the smoke. That's what it is. And how did how did this geeky kid Brian end up being so funny? Like where where did he where did he know how to do this? Weed makes you funny, man. Yeah, and, I've had this experience, <laughs> or it seems to. Yeah, well, I'm yeah, I'm never funnier than I am with weed. You know? <laughs> You're very funny all the time. Oh, stop it! Um, not true. And then Claire's line. <laughs> do you know how popular I am? I'm so popular. Everybody loves me so much at this school. Cool. Terrible. Yeah. 
It's amazing how experienced they are. They all are with it, though. Like especially Anthony Michael does not cough once. No, you know he's never touched a weed. Of course, no. It's a weed it's, stick. Yeah. This is. I, I really am embracing your idea that there's fantasy here. That we don't. This that, whole sequence. That is we a don't fantasy. know what the reality. Because then Andy comes out of a totally smoked filled room. Right. Runs out, does the dance. Yeah. Which is you know there's cartwheels, dance. punches, rolls. By the way, this, this is what I call the man dance. Yeah. Be like I am not comfortable oh, yeah. dancing. But I can be do masculine things to music. This is Gene Kelly dancing. <laughs> Every move is very masculine. Very much so. And then he goes, he, you know, he falls over the bookshelves. Yeah. And then he goes back into the room, screams, and the glass shatters. Yeah, there's no way that happened. No, of course yeah. not. Uh, no, I'm loving your. I'm loving this uh, fantasy theory. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. What do you cut to after Andy's scream moment? Is you cut to Allison yeah. watching him. Mm-hmm. She, you start to see. Oh, this is this is going to be a thing. Yep. Um, down in the basement, Vernon is looking through the confidential files. You dirty son of a bitch, Vernon. And, and he's kind of going, "Oh, this is interesting." And in walks Carl. Oh, yeah. you know, what are looking you doing? Are you looking at <laughs> looking at those confidential files? Huh? <laughs> Carl's got it all going on. Of like course. he sees through everybody. Carl's the shit, man. I would really appreciate it if, 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 if this would be something that you, you and I could, could keep between us. What are you going to do for me, man? What, what, what would you like? Got 50 bucks? <laughs> I love that. Um, back in the room, we're trying to find out what Brian's middle name is. And his, who knows his middle name? Allison. Mm-hmm. Her middle name is Ralph, as in puke. She knows his birthday, his social security number. Like, Are you psychic? No, she stole his wallet. Right. Stole his wallet now. The knife, wallet. We'll keep okay. going. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm ready for this theory. Yes, so. yes. And, you know, weird thing. You know, Bender's brushing his teeth with the makeup stuff, with mm-hmm. Claire's makeup stuff. And Claire's looking through Bender's stuff. And, like, why are there so many girls in here? Yeah. And are these your girlfriends? He goes, oh, some I consider my girlfriends. Some I just consider. <laughs> oh, jeez. How come you got so many girlfriends? And he asked her, how come you got so much shit in your purse? I don't know. I guess I never threw anything away. Neither do I. This is good writing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we find talk about Brian's fake ID. Why do you have a fake ID? So I can vote. Right. <laughs> Which I don't believe. That is totally, <laughs> I don't believe that Brian would do that. You want to see what's in my bag? No. No, right. <laughs> Nobody wants to see. And she dumps it out. Yeah. And there is a lot of stuff in there. There is. Um, and. Because she's a klepto. Yeah. And they go, well, holy shit. Do you always carry this much shit in your bag? And I love, again, Ali Sheedy's way of acting. Yeah. I always carry this much shit in my bag. You never know when you may have to jam. And now we get into this thing of her, like, wanting to, to run away. Um, and, and we start to hear some of her fan, fantasies, you know. Yeah. I don't have to run away and live in the street. I can run away and I can go to the ocean. I can go to the country. I can go to the mountains. I could go to Israel, Africa, Afghanistan. You know, she has these romantic notions. Yeah, yeah they're into because she didn't say I could go to Paris, I could go to, mm-hmm. you know, Hong Kong. She went to Afghanistan. Well, these are war torn places at the time yeah. as well, right? Yeah, with the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, Afghanistan, the Middle East stuff going on in Israel at the time. Yeah, um, she feels an affinity for it. I'll do what I have to do. Why do you have to do anything? My home life is unsatisfying. 
which is a really good line. Mm-hmm. And and Brian has now sort of developed a relationship with Andy. He's yeah. like, hey, uh, Allison says she wants to run away because her home life is unsatisfying. To which Andy's response is, everyone's home life is unsatisfying. Is If it wasn't, we'd live with their parents forever. Mm. And Brian's kind of pushing it. Well, I think this goes beyond it. And Al- at this point, Allison is like, never mind, forget it. Right. And she shut it and she tries to shut it down. Never mind, forget it. Everything's cool. What's the deal? No. There's no deal, Sporto. Forget it. Leave me alone. Wait a minute. Now you're carrying all that crap around in your purse. Either you really want to run away, or you want people to think you want to run away. That is a perceptive line. Mm-hmm. To which her response is, eat shit. Mm-hmm. And she runs away, or she moves away, and Andy pursues her. Yeah. This is one of my favorite moments. It, he, he asks her if she wants to talk. He says, no. He says, why not? She says, go away. Go away. And he starts to leave. He starts to go away. And she yells, you have problems. She didn't want him to leave. Nope. She said, go away. But she actually wants this interaction. Welcome to the conundrum of man and woman, man. Sometimes. Well, I think people in general. <laughs> yeah, people in general. You know, I guess like, that's a good point. Um, people in general. We're all, I mean, as, as we say in this movie, we're all pretty bizarre. Yeah, fight or flight type of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and she's getting goes, too close. That's why she pushed. Yeah. Me. And she goes, your problems, you do everything everyone else tells you to do. And he goes, okay, fine. But I didn't dump my purse out on the couch and invite people into my problems. And then he asks, what's wrong? Is it bad? Real bad? And she nods. Parents? And she looks at him. And there's another long pause. Yeah. This is a really beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. What did they do to you? And you remember back at the very beginning, she went to say goodbye Mm -hmm. to her parents and they drove away. And I think this is a crucial moment in the movie and in their relationship, which is he doesn't go, because we've heard Bender's getting Mm -hmm. beat up and we know that some of the stuff's going on with him. He doesn't go, that's bullshit. Right. He goes, he nods. He believes her. And understands that that is a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. It's terrible in a way that's completely different from the terribleness he's experienced. Right, because he can't get them to ignore him. No. But, but then can see like, oh, wow, they ignore you. Well, in this moment, Steve, what is your thought? Like, Because my initial thought was her father sexually abuses her. Oh, wow. The pause is why I think that. The pause is so long. You mean before they say she ignores you? or you think, Right, you, before it says she yeah. ignores when she's Is it bad when she just stares at yes, you? Yes, I agree. That's, that's, I'm having that thought. I, oh, I, shit, they do something really bad. Yeah, I think that her father sexually abused and her mom lets it happen. Like her mom can't stop him because her mom is just like, if I stop him, it ruins my whole world. And then, no, but I want to be clear mm-hmm. if I understand what you're saying. Yep. After she says they ignore me, yep. do you continue to believe that dad sexually uh, abused her? Uh, yes, because I think she's saying they ignore me in the sense of like, she doesn't exist to them because he uses her as. So you actually s- think that dad sexually. Abuses yes. Her. And I think the mom lets it happen. Uh-huh. I think they both ignore her because the mom doesn't stop the dad. Therefore she isn't as valuable to the mom as the dad. And the dad keeps sexually abusing her because the dad doesn't see her as doesn't see her as like his daughter. And this is wrong. God, I interpret this so totally, totally differently mm-hmm. is that for me in the moment before. Yeah. When he says, parents, is it bad? And she nods. I'm thinking exactly what you just said, mm-hmm. that it's something really horrible like yeah. that. And then when she says, they ignore me, I think that is the actual truth. I don't think that anything bad is happening mm. to her at all. Okay. And that what it does, because to me, the moment is about, 
in a way, the parent being ignored by your parents, feeling like you don't exist, is as bad, mm -hmm. is just as bad as these other things. Right. You know, like that's what to me what the 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 moment is about is that oh they don't see her, right? She is invisible to her parents. Okay. Um. And I I mean obviously we can interpret this all oh, sorts of, of ways. Yeah. And that's why there's um, a pause there. I think. But it is a great great moment. Mm -hmm. Um, we're back with Vernon and Carl, and he asks, what did you want to be when you grew up? And Carl's answer is, I want to be John Lennon. And Vernon rejects that answer, which I find he's like, oh, don't be a goof. Um, and then he goes into this thing, and, and you know what? I, as a teacher now, I've had some of these feelings, you know, because you've heard me talk about kids these days. Yeah. But he he's like, every year these kids get more arrogant. To which Carl's response, which I think is some real wisdom, wisdom is the kids haven't changed, you've changed. Yep. Yep. And, and he's like, no, the kids have turned on me. Like his, he is stuck in some bad ways of looking at the world. Right, which is why Carl's breakdown of him yeah. is so great. You know, he yeah. says you you took a job and you thought you weren't going to have to, and you realized, oh, it was actual work. Right. Right. And the other part of it, what he's saying, like, think about it. If you were a kid, would you respect you? Like yeah. the, to which his response is, do you think I'd give one rat's ass what they think of mm -hmm. me? And Carl says, Yes, I do. Of course, because it's it's bothering him down here. And we've seen it through through the entire movie. Yeah. He cares what they think of him. Now, this is the thought that wakes me up in the middle of the night. That when I get older, these kids are going to take care of me. And Carl's response is, I wouldn't count on it. And look at this time now. 1984, whatever. Yeah. The kids running the world now are the kids that Ed Vernon is talking about in this moment. Right. And they are fucking up our world. And so there's... There's truth I, no, to I, I Ed Vernon's moment. I, I, I think there's some truth there, but I actually think it's still the Vernon generation is running the world. He is eighty. He is he is forty in this movie, so he'd be thirty. He'd be seventy two, seventy five. President right of the United States. Well, that's that's a different situation. No, I think we are just at that generation is now. Yeah, but who's just below Vernon? Paul Ryan, who's younger than they're all. Those yeah. are kids. I, I, I agreed. Right. Agreed. That's what I'm saying. Um, it isn't all 75 year old men in charge. No, that's true. There are a lot of them, though. <laughs> um, um, what would you do for a million bucks? Uh, I would drive to school naked. Absolutely. You would? Yeah. No problem. Summer or winter? No problem. A winter. Quite great. You Quite have, you're going to actually get out of the car? I would get out of the car <laughs> for a million dollars. To me, to me, it's a no brainer. It's I've like, been yeah. naked for less. Yeah. A million bucks is a lot of money. Yeah. Particularly in 1985. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, as Allison's listening to this, because that conversation is going on with Andy, yeah. she says, I'll do anything sexual. I don't need a million dollars to do it either. You're lying. I already have. I've done just about everything there is, except a few things that are illegal. I'm a nymphomaniac. Lie. And then she says that her shrink nailed me, that she told her shrink, what did he do? He nailed me. Ugh. Um, and the guys, again, reaction shots. The guys are smiling at this. Yeah. And Claire just thinks this is gross. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I love her line. I don't think that from a legal standpoint, what he did could be considered rape because I paid him. Right. And are you, do, you think, do you think when you first saw this that you believed that this was true at this moment? Oh, I did. And yeah, in this moment. Sure. Yeah. Because um, you know, she just had this real genuine moment with that's right. Andy. Yeah. And then, and then it immediately turns to Claire, and have you ever done it? And she's like, well, didn't we go over this? And it's like, yeah, but you never answered the question. Right. Um, and, and Allison's analysis is... It's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? A what? Well, if you say you haven't, you're a prude. If you say you have, you're a slut. It's a trap. 
you want to, but you can't. Then when you do, you wish you didn't, right? And and, and she kind of goes, no, that's not true. And then they go, oh, well, then you're a tease. Right. Which is terrible. It's terrible. This construction of, mm-hmm. of virgin slut tease, you know, and these are the only options. This is the limited male yeah. concept at the time, right? The patriarchy is very limited male. The information was out there to not see women in this way, but most men didn't take that knowledge, right? And look at this, 1980-whatever. Now in 2018, obviously, that, that, that kind of thing is broken. It should be broken. At least yeah. more men understand this. But yeah, in that time, you're seeing that. And Andy turns on and he goes, yeah, she's a tease. Yeah. Um, like, thanks a lot, Andy. Right. And, and then Bender goes, She's only a tease if what she does gets you hot. I don't do anything. That's why you're a tease. And then Claire goes after Allison, like, oh, doesn't it bother you to screw around? Um, is that how you're going to get respect? Right. Um, I don't, and Allison responds, I don't screw to get respect. Right. Um, and that's the, and we go like, oh, that's some difference, like screwing to get, and that's not, Claire didn't say. No, they, you they twist her to words. Get, they're totally twisting her words. Yep. This, I think this scene about Claire and being a virgin, this is the most brutal, yeah. like uncomfortable, particularly today scene in the movie. It's burning the witch. Yeah. They're essentially burning a witch. Face it. You're a tease. I'm not a tease. Sure you are. Sex is your weapon. You said it yourself. You use it to get respect. No, I never said that. She twisted my words around. What do you use it for then? I don't use it, period. Oh, are you medically frigid or is it psychological? And they keep going. Answer the question. And we get into this. Answer the question. Answer the question. Right. This The whole group forces her to reveal whether or not she's a virgin, which she is. It's only one question. No! I never did it! Can you argue for this scene at all? Is there a logical argument for this scene? So I could give you a screenwriting logical argument for the gotcha, scene. Gotcha, gotcha. But I cannot, but I but I don't like it. Yeah. At this point, looking at it. The, 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 the structure of the movie is that we must break through everybody's defenses right. and so that they can reveal some truth about themselves and that's how healing and understanding is going to happen. Right. And this is the moment of breaking through Claire's defenses. Right. But it's horrible. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't particularly like it. It's a violation. I think so. Well, I, as everyone else surrenders theirs willingly, yeah. Claire is forced to. Yeah. Um, and she goes, I never did it. And then Allison says, oh, I never did it either. I'm not a nymphomaniac. I'm a compulsive liar. You are such a bitch. You did that on purpose just to fuck me over. And she says, I would do it. If you're in love, it doesn't matter. Right. And, and, and Claire attacks Allison. And then Andy goes, oh, well, you're just um, upset because she got you to admit something that you didn't want to. It's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is exactly That's not a I'm negative upset. to be mad about yeah. that. And and we go into kind of what's bizarre. Well, we're all pretty bizarre. Yeah. Some of us are just better at hiding it is all. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great line. Sure. And uh, this moment always makes me laugh is that someone, I think Claire says to Andy, why are you bizarre? And Allison answers, he can't yeah. think for himself. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and he just goes, that's right. <laughs> um, that was a great moment. And then he says what he did to get in here, which is the question he wouldn't answer before, mm-hmm. is that he taped Larry Lester's buns together. That was you? I love that. That was you. I love Brian saying that was you because the nerds all know. Yeah, because it's Brian's friend. Right. And you could see the sort of horribleness Mm -hmm. of that. I've befriended the guy who did this to one of my friends without knowing. Oh, really? Right. Brian's befriended the guy who did this to my friend without knowing. Right. Yeah. That that, that struggle. Yeah. No, that's it's awful. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and and he says, "Oh, you know him. Well, you know how hairy he is." And Bender smiles, yeah, because this seems kind of funny to him. Mm-hmm. And apparently, when they pulled the tape off, they pulled a bunch of skin off. Yeah. And then he goes into this monologue of why he did it. Yeah, and he did it for his old man. I tortured this poor kid because I wanted him to think that I was cool. And he, you know, because his old man had told him about all the stuff that he had done when he was a kid, and he thought, "Oh, well, this guy must be disappointed in me mm-hmm. because I didn't cut loose on anyone." And the camera goes into this circular move. So I'm, I'm sitting in the locker room, and I'm taping up my knee. And Larry's undressing a couple lockers down from me, and he's kind of, he's kind of skinny, weak. And I started thinking about my father and his attitude about, about weakness. What does that mean, my father and his attitude about weakness? Well, he's telling him what he thinks weakness is, and that is like talking about your feelings and emotions, being open and vulnerable. And in fact, that's not weakness at all. But in his warped Neanderthal-type mind, that is weakness. And strength is physical and, you know, showing you can handle yourself and do whatever you need to do. I don't know that I ever thought that he was saying larry was weak because he talked about his feelings or emotions mm-hmm. i think he's talking about larry is physically weak oh he's skinny and he's weak okay. and 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 it's funny because there's this thing and i've never understood it of dominance has to dominate right. like you're the stronger person and therefore you must on some level punish people that are weak yeah and express your dominance over them mm-hmm. and that's a real thing among guys and i just well, gun amongst women too sure it, it's a real thing amongst humans yeah yeah and uh i I just, it, it's a thing that makes me really angry. It's like, who, and, and you know, and, and, you know, to your point, it's like, how are we defining weakness here? It's like yeah. some people are not born with the skills and strength that Andy is born with. Yeah. That's not, doesn't mean their character is weak. That's just what they were born with. Right. So, and then, and then he says this. All I could think about was Larry's father and Larry having to go home and, and explain what happened to him. And the humiliation, fucking humiliation he must have felt. I mean, how do you apologize for something like that? Here's what I've always felt about that line. What the fuck does Larry have to apologize about? What do you mean? What does Larry have to apologize about? He says, how do Andy says, how do you? No, no, Andy's talking about himself. How do you apologize for something like that? That's what I think he's talking about. Oh, maybe you know what? You could be totally right. Yeah, I had always interpreted that he's saying, "How does Larry apologize to his father about being abused?" He's saying to you know what? You're probably right. How does he explain it to his dad? How does he talk to and like the fact that he has to do that? Like, how do I apologize for have for putting Larry through that on top of what I already put him through? And it's all because of his dad. And he goes into this. This is where it really comes out. God, I fucking hate him. He's like this. It's like this mindless machine that I can't even relate to anymore. Andrew, you've got to be number one. I won't tolerate any losers in this family. Your intensity is for shit. Win, win, win. You son of a bitch. And then he says, sometimes I wish my knee would give and I couldn't wrestle anymore. Mm. And he could forget all about me. Which is the Allison life. Yeah, this idea of yes being ignored. Yes, to yeah. be ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, that's that's brutal. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are find themselves in a situation like this in life, you know. And then we have, for the first time, I think, a connection to the two people that I think have been farthest apart in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think your old man and my old man should get together and go bowling. <laughs> <laughs> I've quoted this so many times. That's such great. Thing. So many quotable lines. And then we get to Brian. It's like me, you know, like with my grades. Like when I, when I, when I step outside myself, kind of, and, and like when I look in at myself, you know, and I, and I see me. I don't like what I see. So I'll cry every time with Brian. Oh, wow. Every Interesting. Time. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Absolutely. Understood. Um, you know, because that's me. Mm. You know, the, the, you know, Claire asks, what's wrong? What, why don't you like yourself? Um, and the reason is because he's failing shop. Mm-hmm. And there was this thing about an elephant and a lamp and getting an mm-hmm. elephant to light up. Um, and he talks about, you know, he, you know, he thought it would be a real smart move, you know, get an easy A. Easy A. Um, and, of course, Ben is like, why did you think yeah. that would be easy? <laughs> and Brian says, well, have you seen the kind of people that take shop? I take shop. <laughs> this is Brian's first moment of his own elitism yes. and his own judgment mm-hmm. of everybody else. Right. And then he kind of, Bender goes like, you must be a fucking idiot. And Brian gets defensive. What do you know about trigonometry? I could care less about trigonometry. Bender, did you know without trigonometry, there'd be no engineering? Without lamps, there'd be no light. Okay, so neither one of you is any better than the other one. And he goes, okay, you're both equally smart, Claire. You're yeah. both equally smart. Yeah. Um, and a- Allison, she's probably become part of the group because mm-hmm. now she's trying to deflect. Yeah. She's trying to move the conversation away. And she says, oh, I can write with my toes. Right. And apparently brush her teeth and do all sorts of other things with her toes. Um, and now we're going to go around the room and ask everyone what their special skill is. Brian can make spaghetti. Yeah. Uh, what can Andy do? Well, he can tape all their buns together. <laughs> what can Claire do? And she goes, oh, there's one thing, but it's too embarrassing. Um, and then they all push her. Oh, it's yeah. something she did at camp. No, Once again, no. they push her. Yeah, They push her. No, no, I'm not going to do it. And, and then she goes, if you promise, you won't laugh. And she takes out a lipstick or something, puts it in her bra strap, I mm-hmm. think, and then puts her lipstick on her lips mm-hmm. from that. And everyone kind of laughs and thinks it's really funny. And then Bender does the slow clap. Yeah. Horrible. Once again. Horrible. He's a bit of a dick to the whole movie, man. Oh, yeah. You're a shit. Don't do that to her. You swore to God you wouldn't laugh. Am I laughing? You fucking prick. And then this is this is where, because I really think the beginning of the movie put Bender in an angry place yeah. that he's still holding on to. Because the next thing he says is, what do you care what I think anyway? I don't even count, right? I could disappear forever and it wouldn't make any difference. I may as well not even exist at this school. Remember? He shames them, yep. yeah. And then turns to Claire and goes, and you don't like me anyway. Yeah. And Claire's really sad. And it's like, I have just as many feelings as you. And it hurts when someone steps on him. And he calls her pathetic. Mm. And then he loses it. Yeah. Don't you ever, ever compare yourself to me, okay? You got everything and I got shit. Fucking Rapunzel, right? School would probably fucking shut down if you didn't show up. Queenie isn't here. Brutal. Yeah, but also defense mechanism. Yeah. Right? Because... And true. Yeah, because... He, to, well, to be clear... What do you mean? What's what he's true? saying What he's saying is well, true. Well, the school wouldn't shut down if she didn't show No, 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 that's not true. Right. But I think he's saying that she lives in a world of privilege. And 
but he's also saying it right after they've all kind of like found some solace. They've smoked his weed. They've found some connection with each other. And this is his emotional immaturity pushing back against people connecting to him. And this is what sometimes happens with people who are damaged from an upbringing in this way, that when emotions come, they get worried that they will get hurt if they let people in. This is him being afraid to let these guys in and Claire, especially because he's starting to have feelings for Claire. Uh, and he like pushes back in the most uh, uh, ugly way. Well, and his entire life of deep-seated yes. resentment uh-huh. towards people like Claire right. who have everything that he doesn't. Right. And the fact that someone who has everything that he doesn't is complaining about yeah. their life, he has zero sympathy for. Well, because if you, if, if you accept that those people have problems, then your situation loses even less, I mean, becomes even less, has less merit because your, your whole uh, axe that you're trying to grind on the world, that you're somehow more uh, 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 damaged by the, your situation than that person, uh, you lose that if you start to find validity in their struggle, in their situation. Yeah, because then you go like, well, 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 then shit, we all struggle. Well, then if we all struggle, where's the hierarchy? Where's the class system? How am I? How am I not better than these people at least in one way? Well, and 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 you know, and if you look at it logically, it doesn't make sense that Claire should be as unhappy as Bender. You know that okay. that. And I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying that yeah. if you if you look at it from an external point of view, you have a rich kid versus well, a poor sure, sure, kid. Sure, sure, of you have a kid that's being physically abused right, by right, his right. parents. Right. You have a kid that's an outsider that has you know probably sure. didn't have a lunch today. Yeah. And you have the girl that has the earring and always manipulates her daddy right. into giving everything that she wants. Absolutely. You know. And so from Bender's perspective, it's like no, you can't compete. You 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 because he says you know what I got for Christmas this year? It was a banner fucking year at the old Bender family. I got a carton of cigarettes the old man grabbed me said hey smoke up johnny because he's saying i have real problems well what he thinks are real problems yeah for him well and 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 the reality is is that if you look at like teen suicide rates a lot of them are rich kids yeah you know that that so clearly there are problems all around exactly that's one of the big things that this movie is saying yeah and there's a pause and then my god are we gonna be like our parents and claire's the first one to say not me yeah and Allison's response is, It's unavoidable. Just happens. When you grow up, your heart dies. And just, but doesn't Bender say it doesn't, doesn't fucking matter anyway? And she says, It matters to me. Yeah. She says, Who cares? And she says, I care. Mm-hmm. I care. I can remember how I felt in this moment yeah. in the movie when I was a kid because there was such a disconnect between grownups and kids because the feeling that they didn't understand us right. was so strong that when she says something happens, you grow up and your heart dies. Because to me, it's like, well, something must happen when you grow up. And I think, right. I think on some degree, Claire's right. Your heart does die. Yeah. And I think things that you saw, we become, I'm not saying we all become Vernon, but you can't, it's, it's very hard to be someone like John Hughes who can go back and still imagine the feelings that you had when you were a kid. Yeah. You know, it's hard. Yeah. It takes effort. Um, I was just thinking, I mean, I know it's kind of a weird time, but I was just wondering um, what is going to happen to us on Monday when we're all together again. I mean, I consider you guys my friends. I'm not wrong, am I? I think this is one of the most important questions of the movie. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen on Monday? Yep. 
And they all kind of say, no, you're right. We're friends. So what's going to happen on Monday? And then you know what? Claire becomes the truth speaker or in yeah. her mind. Yeah. Because she says, you want my honest opinion? He goes, yeah. And she says, I don't think so. Yeah. And that is brutal. She's not lying. She's not lying. Nope. Um, and, and then it kind of is like, well, with all of us or just John? Hmm. And she says, with all of them. Do you think she, I think she doesn't include Andy. Right. I think she could still talk to Andy of and course. Paul, yeah. but not to the rest of them. Um, it's just a great reaction to all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and Andy goes like, oh, nice attitude. Come on. And like right. Andy, cause, and, and, and she, she really becomes Bender in this moment, right. I think. Because she says, oh, so imagine what you're going to do. And she calls them all out. Oh, be honest, Andy. If Brian came walking up to you in the hall on Monday, what would you do? I mean, picture this. You're there with all the sports. I know exactly what you'd do. You'd say hi to him, and when he left, you'd cut him all up so your friends wouldn't think that you really liked him. No way. Okay. What if I came up to you? Same exact thing. And I think the odds are she is right. Yep. And especially when she calls out Bender, same thing. Yep. Or are you going to make a joke about having slept with me or something or having, right. yeah, all this kind of stuff. She calls everybody out. Are you going to take Allison to one of your heavy metal vomit parties? And, right. You know, and it, it, this is complicated. Like anyone who doesn't think that these people can now just, even yeah. though they've had this great connection. That's what I like about this moment. It's the truthful moment in this whole yeah. fantasy moment. Scene. Yep. And, and they call her a bitch. And she's like, no, I am telling the truth. Exactly. Just like Bender did. He was a fucking asshole for telling the yep. truth at the beginning of this thing. So, you know. And, and, and when she talks to Bender about it, Bender just again lays into him. Don't you ever talk about my friends. You don't know any of my friends. You don't look at any of my friends. And you certainly wouldn't condescend to speak to any of my friends. So you just stick to the things that you know. Shopping, nail polish, your father's BMW, and your poor, rich, drunk mother in the Caribbean. Shut up! And as far as being concerned about what's going to happen when you and I walk down the hallways of school, you can forget it because it's never going to happen. It's sanctimonious wow. bullshit. Yeah. Um, and they just end with, I hate you. Mm-hmm. You know, they're yelling at each other. And then again, Brian. Okay, then I assume Alice and I are better people than you guys, huh? Us weirdos. Would you do that to me? I don't have any friends. But if you did, and Allison says, no, I think the friends I have wouldn't mind. Wouldn't mind, yeah. I just want to tell each of you that I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't and I will not. Because I think that's real shitty. Yeah, and then Claire calls him out a little bit and says, of course, because you guys look up to us. Now, Brian can say this stuff and think he's saying the right thing, but Brian also knows it's a stat- it's a social status climbing thing for him to be friends with these people. Right. So for him to say, like, oh, I, I wouldn't do that to you, the honest truth is, yeah, you wouldn't, but because there's an advantage for you, which... You could say, you could mm-hmm. call him out on, you know? But, and his response to her, though, is you're so conceited. Yeah. And he's crying. You're so conceited, Clint. You're so conceited. You're so, like, full of yourself. Why are you like that? And her response, also crying, is I hate it. Yeah. Because she's stuck, too. Yeah. You don't understand. You don't... You're not friends with the same kind of people that Annie and I are friends with. You know, you just don't understand the pressure that they can put on you. And it's true. It is true. Which it gets explored in the uh, in uh, uh, some kind of wonderful, which I really enjoyed from Hughes as well. Yeah, yeah. And Brian's response is, "I don't understand pressure." I love his crying response. I love it. So Fuck, you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck <laughs> you. Um, and the reason is he's here today is because they found a gun in his locker. Yep. 
What? Wakes everybody up. What's the gun for, Brian? Just forget it. You brought it up, man. I can't have an F. I can't have it. I know my parents can't have it. So I never thought about killing myself because mm. of bad grades. Right. But I was, there was always high expectations and I did not meet them. Ah. You know, I was, you know, my sister was a straight A student always right. and I was a B student right. and all through my childhood, like sixth grade on the teachers would come to my parents and say, Steve is so smart. If he would only apply himself, he could be such a good student. Wow. And they didn't know that I was a little dyslexic. That took a lot longer okay. to diagnose. Okay. I couldn't, I had real problems with handwriting. I couldn't write clearly. Mm -hmm. And so my parents said, you know, and, and I'm not, it's not a criticism, but they went, okay, Steve needs tutors. So I had tutors all through from sixth grade till end of high school, mm. trying to get me to live up to what my potential was. Right. You know, and if I came home with, you know, dad, I, you know, my parents always knew every assignment, every test. How did you, did you get the results on this thing? You get the results on that thing. And if I came home and said, dad, I got a 95% on the test. My dad would say, why didn't you get a hundred? Oh, wow. Now. That was a joke from right. him. He thought that was a funny thing to say. And I knew it was a joke. But the feeling of being a constant failure, yeah. you know, constantly. And, and because there's a weird thing when, when you have someone say, oh, he's really smart. He should be an a straight A student. Well, then a B plus is a failure. Yeah. You know, and so the I'm still only a B. And like I said, it wasn't that I ever thought of killing myself over it. Right. But that spending my whole childhood not living up to expectations that's how I felt. It weighs on you, man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and it's funny, like the, the two, the two things of what I said earlier about not wanting to uh, suddenly being embarrassed about being the smartest kid in the room. Yeah. And then also this not living up to expectations thing that man, when this is why I brought my parents to see this movie. Yeah. To try to tell them, I don't know if they understood what I was trying to tell them. Right. But that when when Anthony Michael Hall breaks down crying in this moment, yeah. I'm like, that's me. And it still is, you know, I'm still that kid yeah. on a lot of levels. Okay. Um, and then of course, cause it's a John Hughes movie. We're still going to end up with a button. Yeah. Cause he's they're like, why, you know, why'd you have a gun in the locker? And he goes like, well, I didn't do it. I didn't actually try to kill myself. Right. And then he says, it was a flare gun <laughs> <laughs> and everyone laughs. And, yeah. and, and Brian's like, it's not funny. And then he realizes, no, it is funny. Yeah, it breaks the tension. Um, and of course, the elephant was destroyed too. Yeah. You want to know what I did to get in here? Nothing. I didn't have anything better to do. <laughs> You're laughing at me. No. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and then we go into a dance number. <laughs> Right. I don't know where. It's just, this is where it's like, yes, this is a fantasy. Yeah. It's cute. Sure. Um, and I remember doing some of these moves with friends at one point <laughs> or another. Um, They're coming together. Bender has to go back to the storage room that yeah. he escaped. Um, Claire convinces, she basically Tom Sawyer's him into writing the paper for all of them. Right. For, yeah, you know, she you're does. the smartest one, right? Um, he goes, what? <laughs> I love that um, reaction from Brian. And then Claire takes uh, Allison and goes, well, you know, we can't see your face with all that black stuff on it. And we get a makeover. Yeah. This is apparently a very controversial thing in this movie. Yes, it is. And so for, let me ask you this question yep. first. 
which Allison do you like better? The dark, weird, weirdo Allison or the cute, bright Allison? Here's my cop-out answer. Okay. I like whatever Allison that Allison wants to be. Fantastic cop-out answer. <laughs> a plus. You can go into a political debate right oh, now. Thank, that was really good. Thank Jesus. I you know, because it is it is a troubling thing. And I and I and I, you know, as I got older, I sensed the troubling nature of it. Right. But it was over the last few years that you really understand that Claire cleaned her up for Brian. Or for Andy, rather. Right. And but Andy was already attracted to her without any of this stuff. It just added to his attraction for her, right? It'd be different if she, he, like, she's all that is the bullshit one with Rachel Lee Cook and right. Freddie Prince, how, like, she's a nerd the whole time and then they get cleaned up and all of a sudden he finds her attractive. This film, he's been finding her attractive progressively through the movie. So this just only, only accentuates what was already there. But that being said, the idea, the patriarchal idea that you have to clean someone up and make them, like, nice and fresh and put the makeup on to make them look pretty and and acceptable to someone like it, that stratus of, of Andy is, is well, even, uh, even, misogynistic. Even before the being acceptable for the man, yeah. which is definitely obviously in there. Oh, right, good but, point. But, but there's also the sort of your problem yes. is that you don't look like me. Yes. Is that you have not um, uh, joined the ranks of, that you haven't conformed. Yeah. You know, that's your problem. And if you would only stop being looking like a weirdo and look like a pretty girl, then all your problems will be solved. Nope. And I will say this, Steve, over the last, I've had interactions with women who are very powerful, empowering women who complain about other women who don't know how to dress in a way to accentuate yep. themselves and sure. make themselves look pretty, blah, blah, blah. The, I, these are very powerful women that well, are, that have, you know, are very powerfully living their lives and successful in what they do. Even they have these things where they look at another woman and go, she's not taking advantage of what she can do to get her to make herself presentable, to catch a man, blah, blah, blah. This is deep within both sides of this spectrum. Well, one cannot overestimate the power of pretty. Yeah. I mean, it does work. Yeah. You know, and, and it's it's funny because I, I genuinely I, I'm agreeing with your political answer. Right. But I genuinely like the weirdo more than the other look. Oh, of course. You know, because that's and and, and there is a weird thing of I think if this movie was made today that Andy would would like the just like no this is right I want you to stay who you are. Well I think that's I mean, the whole point of her character yeah. the whole thing that Andy is attracted to her by is that she does think for herself mm -hmm. and now she's being made over by Claire it's is, is it a big problematic thing? No, I no, don't think so at all. Because she immediately rebels against it too when Andy's not sure yeah. how he yeah. feels about it. But that's uh, why Greece works Steve. Because they both change for each other at the end of the movie. Agreed. Thinking they um, what the other person wants. The relationship that maybe is slightly more troubling is that then Claire somehow yeah. shows up in the storeroom yeah. and kisses Bender. You know? I think this never happened. You think this is a fantasy? Whose? His. Hmm. Yeah. Because he's so horrible to her. Right. And for her to just make this turn, I mean, he is... Terrible. There is no way they're outside in the parking lot, which we're going to get to here in a couple of seconds, kissing in front of her parents. No effing way that's happening. I, I without the dad stepping out of the car, going, "Get away from my daughter." Well, and there's also just the physics of how did Claire get out of the You're library, right. down the hall, exactly. into the storage room, and then back without anybody seeing her. Fantasy. But but, but it, we have this moment where she leans in and kisses him, mm -hmm. and he says, "Why did you do that?" And she says, "Because I knew you wouldn't." Mm -hmm. Implication is there's been this attraction to the between them the whole time, right? And that she is now finally acting on it. Once again, she has to make the move, not him. Yeah, bullshit. And uh, Brian's right in the paper. Um, and then Allison walks in, and Andy sees her for the first time, 
and she is nervous about how she looks. Yeah. Brian sees her shocked. Mm-hmm. She is, there's just great acting here. She is upset that he's shocked. And then he knows smiles. You look good. And then um, there is a nice sort of romantic approach between Andy and Allison. And this is important though, Steve, to understand what was her problem, right? That she was being ignored by her parents. Yep. Doing this, she's seen by everyone now. Yep. So yes, it's troubling, but also there's shades I think of- this is a really good point. Her empowering herself a little bit to be noticed. Having the strength, the guts- the bravery to now wear brighter clothes to be seen, to be noticed for something other than being weird. Yep. And so there is something there. I'm not fully agreeing with what happens. I'm just saying there's more to no, it. No, I think it's a really, really good point is that she is willing to stand out now yeah. in a way that she wasn't before. They gave her the confidence um, to do that. Bender t- talks about how... You know how you said before how your parents use you to get back at each other? Wouldn't I be outstanding in that capacity? <laughs> Brian That's finishes sweet. the paper, kisses it, kisses and I love that he punches himself in the shoulder. It's <laughs> great. Um, and then we're leaving, mm-hmm. and we say goodbye uh, to Carl. <laughs> um, Bender says, "See you next Saturday." Mm-hmm. And the music starts. Yeah. We're back to "Don't You Forget About Me." Right. Um, and as they're going out, Brian gets in his car. Dad picks Brian, or yeah, Brian gets in. Dad picks up Brian this time. Yeah. Mom dropped off Brian in the morning. Oh, good point. Yeah. Andy and Allison kiss yes and dad in the truck is looking out at like who is this girl like, right what's going on and um claire gives uh gives bender her diamond earring yeah which he puts into his ear which he puts into his ear i do a lot of kids that got their ears a lot of guys that got their ears pierced after this movie and they kiss as you say right in front of dad's car mm-hmm. and then bender walks away and we start to hear the letter yeah. that we heard at the beginning. And the only difference is, first of all, you're going to hear the end, right. which we didn't hear at the beginning. And now, instead of the Anthony Michael Hall's voice, you hear it from the actors. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain and an athlete and a basket case, a princess and a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. And then at the very end, the fist in the air. Yeah, man. Fist of defiance. Don't you forget about me. And we've reached the end of The Breakfast Club. Yeah. So uh, the movie cost $1 million to make. What? $1 million. That's it? Yep. I'm going to go make a movie right now. Uh, made $51 million in the box office. All right. That's it. That is a, that is a big, big hit. And, and, and John Hughes' run after this is amazing. Yeah. Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Weird Science, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Uncle Buck. Mm-hmm. Like, and in very, very short succession. Yeah. And then he stops. And then he writes Home Alone, doesn't he, as well? Wrote Home Alone. Yeah. yeah. And then he stops. And then he stops. And I think this is, like I said, a watershed moment for our generation. Yeah, agreed. You know, like Rebel Without a Cause and all these, you know, I would say it's like Clueless, Rebel Without a Cause. Clueless for the 90s. Yeah, Clueless maybe for the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe even Rock and Roll High School for some of the 70s kids. Maybe. Sure. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I think uh, p- part of what's different and why I would go more with Rebel Without a Clause and The Graduate more than Rock and Roll High School and Clueless, maybe, is, is it's the emotion that's there, too. Right. You know, is that there's so much emotion that's in this along with the other stuff. Yeah. Whereas Clueless, which I like, yeah. I don't think it has a lot of emotion. I, I didn't ever cry at Clueless. Well, the 90s kids. They, they didn't have emotions. <laughs> These kids turned on me, John. They did. They turned on me. <laughs> I haven't changed. They've changed. Do you have any final thoughts on this film? Yeah, absolutely. My final thoughts on this film is this is an incredible um, 
a masterpiece of the 80s. And by masterpiece, you would say, oh, it's not Lawrence of Arabia. No, no, no. What it does is it captures perfectly a time in our lives for those of us who are from that time. But yet the, the, the characters are universal. The struggles are universal. The things people still experience. There are still parents that physically abuse their kids. There are still parents that ignore their kids or push their kids too hard or ask too much of their kids without understanding that they have sensitive children that they're raising. And pretty much every character in this film is a sensitive kid because they're aware of it. And so all the stuff that goes on through the movie, there's a lot of lessons to learn whether you're a teenager or an adult as you're watching this movie. And it's a great movie to revisit because once again, you get different things out of it depending on where you are in your life when you see it. The other thing that's incredible about this movie is the script. It's really well done that it's believable, but it's not, it, they don't speak about concepts in a way past their emotional maturity that they would have for their ages. And I think that's great. You can understand them better and you can connect to them better because you've been in that place. You've said those things. And so that, that's what makes the film so powerful is it still resonates uh, within you no matter when you see it. And there's still something for you to take that you can remember with nostalgia, but also maybe uh, uh, pass on to someone else that you may be raising or a young person you may be in charge of in your life. It's funny for me, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think that for me, this movie is one of the most influential things mm. that I can think of. Um, and I'm going to make a really strange comparison, which is in a way I compare it to some degree to Star Trek. Because Star Trek which I watched over and over again, I think is probably the most influential thing mm -hmm. in terms of me as a creator. Right. And a basic philosophy of Star Trek that is one of my core principles is that frequently evil is something that you don't understand, you, you, you think is evil until you understand it. Right. That if you could see things from the other side's perspe perspective, then you will no longer see them as evil. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly thematically what's happening in The Breakfast Club is that you have all these characters that have preconceived notions about each other right. and that through the course of this movie, you see the world through all of their perspectives. And while you don't necessarily agree with everything they do, right. you have sympathy. And I think this and along, like do, do the right thing in some ways is a similar thing where it's going to go like, no, I'm not going to let you just have a stereotypical view of this thing. We're going to look at it right. in a lot of ways that are difficult. And a lot of the things I've written over the years and worked on, that's a guiding principle and stuff that I've done, whether it was, you know, the assistants or doing documentaries about great white sharks or plays about racism I did when I was in college right. is that I, I've always been fascinated with this idea of looking at things from different perspectives. Yeah. That's very much how my brain works. And I think one of the building blocks of that is this movie mm. is is forcing you to see things through different people's eyes. Right. And because what happens is, as soon as you start to really understand someone, you're gonna feel compassion. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we don't actually wanna do that. Yeah. We don't wanna understand because we wanna be able to see worlds in our preconceived mo notions and break things up into what everyone's label is. Yeah. And that's not actually a very healthy way to live. All right, so that's what we think of The Breakfast Club. Of course, we always want to hear what you think. Please visit us on our Facebook page. Take a look for The Cinephile, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. Subscribe to us at iTunes or YouTube or Stitcher or TuneIn or Spotify or any of those other places. <laughs> Leave us some reviews on iTunes. The reviews are super important because they help people find the show. Leave a comment on YouTube. If you want to suggest a movie, you can do so on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash The Cinephiles. Uh, you can pledge at all sorts of different levels for all sorts of 
different perks. And if you would like to reach me on Twitter, you could do so at SR Morris. John, where can they reach you? Uh, you guys can always find me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. See all the stuff I'm doing on Collider and of course Top Ten Show and the Outlaw Nation. Um, and thanks to everybody for being patient over the last few weeks for all that craziness that went down with Potomatic and the downloads and oh, all right. that kind of stuff. So we really appreciate that. And uh, thank you for sticking around and not unsubscribing if you haven't unsubscribed. And please keep spreading the word about this show because uh, so many people find it for the first time uh, almost every week and immediately send us tweets and tell us how much they enjoy the show. So yes. you're spreading a good thing when you're spreading. It isn't just our own self our own desire to have the show heard by more people. It's also a good show that people will thoroughly enjoy. And a lot of people have reached out to Steve and I to say how much they have learned about how to analyze film, how to look at film, the technical aspects, the themes, all that kind of stuff that we talk about at the beginning of the show because of the episodes that we do. So you're giving something good to someone who you know loves film. And how and so when you pass on to pass on the show and Steve and I will probably have some announcements coming up soon with some stuff that's happening. We'll see whenever he drops this episode. We'll see uh, <laughs> what we've got going on. But yeah, we've got some stuff coming down the pike that'll be fun for you all. So uh, stay tuned to that. Yes, and uh, I think that is it for this week. We will be back in detention next week <laughs> for another episode of the Cinephiles. <laughs> <laughs>